You know when you order a new video game, or a golf club, or a blender, and then it arrives at your door, you get a little thrill. Imagine how much more thrilling it is when you order a new car. With Nissan at Home, you can shop for the perfect ride and order it without ever having to go anywhere. Sure beats a golf club or a blender. Buy a new car entirely online with Nissan at Home. Deliver direct from dealer to driveway. Thrill starts here. Services may vary at participating dealers subject to applicable law. See dealer for details. And listen to this jerky. Coming alive is Bulldog. Flies into those stairs. And the people's champ now. One-on-one with a Bulldog. Much like we'll see at No Mercy. Oh, no. No, what's he doing? Yes, you heard that correctly. The Rock executes the rock bottom to the British Bulldog on a pile of dog shit. And if you remember this clip, they showed all those Bulldogs earlier, all taking dumps, and Mick Foley is scooping them up. And was it really dog shit? Could it have been horse manure? If you look at it up close, it looked very realistic. I will tell you that. I think the problem is they had too much of that hay stuff in it so it really didn't look like dog shit it looked more like horse manure but still nonetheless what i've noticed we have done 41 weeks of this week in wrestling history which is why we have 41 episodes so far and one thing i have noticed up to this point is wwe has had an infatuation with using mostly dogs in skits over the years. If you actually take a step back and look at all of the segments that WWE has used involving animals, you'd be surprised. It's been that many. And we've seen a little of it in WCW. Who could ever forget? We talked about it earlier this year when Sting was attacked by Rottweilers and they were trying to get him to bite like this arm that was wrapped around this a towel or a towel was wrapped around his arm, I should say. It was fucking funny. But anyway, what's up, everyone? This week in wrestling history, this is episode 41. I am Don Tony. And this week we cover the period of October 9th through October 15th. A lot of audio clips this week. Nothing really long, but a lot. And the first three moments we talk about, the first three years, we actually have audio clips. First off, this week in 1982, Nick Bockwinkle defeats Otto Wands to win the AWA World Heavyweight Championship. After he won this title, this specific, this specific reign, he would hold on to it for 501 days till he lost it to Jumbo Saruta. So there you go. Also, this week in 82, you know, just a random promo. You know, we all love to take flashbacks in history and look at vintage promos. I like putting things up sometimes that you may never have heard before. This is pretty random, but I got a kick out of it because it happened this week in 1982. Now, 
the storyline at that particular time, Ric Flair was the heavyweight champion. He was feuding with Kerry Von Erich. And this was the storyline that was going to lead up until December's event with uh, the AWA Christmas night, 1982. Who could ever forget the cage match between Ric Flair and Kerry Von Erich? Michael P.S. Hayes, the special guest referee. Michael P.S. Hayes tries to sort of help Kerry Von Erich get the win. Kerry Von Erich wants nothing of it. They slam his head in the cage. It sets up the Freebirds versus the Von Erichs. Come on, that's a huge storyline that you should know if you follow history. Well, this particular storyline right now is helping lead up to that match between Flair and Kerry Von Erich. This week in 1982, Kerry Von Erich was injured, and there was rumors that somebody had put a $10,000 bounty on Kerry Von Erich, and Gary Hart and the great Kabuki tried to cash in on it. Fritz Von Erich accuses Ric Flair of being the one to have posted that bounty. So the promo exchange you get right now is Ric Flair denying that he put the bounty on Kerry Von Erich, and then you will hear an older Fritz Basically going back and forth with Ric Flair, and I absolutely loved it. So probably have never heard it before. I think you'll get a kick out of it. This week in 82, Fritz Von Erich and Ric Flair going at it on the mic. Rick, I'm sure that you're aware of the uh, injury that placed Kerry Von Erich in an Oklahoma hospital. Uh, what's your response to that? Well, I heard the rumor yesterday that uh, Von Erich had been hurt at the Great Kabuki managed by Gary Hart. It caused Von Erich to enter a hospital in Oklahoma, have surgery on a knee, something that's going to lay him up for five or six weeks. And my response to that is I'm tragic. I'm sorry to hear about it. But I'm an athlete that knows and is aware of the dangers and the risks of professional wrestling. And I say if you're not tough enough to be in this sport, then stay home. Now, it's been reported, Rick, that uh, you placed a $10,000 bounty on all of the Von Erichs. And uh, with Kerry Von Erich specifically targeted in that bounty, how do you respond to that charge? Well, I don't know who reported that to you, but that's ridiculous. I'm a very wealthy man, and $10,000 wouldn't be anything to me. If I wanted it done, uh, I'd have it done. It'd be done tomorrow. But... Uh, that's a ridiculous charge. I'm a professional wrestler. I'm the world champion. Now, Fritz Von Erich... I don't need to do have anybody do my work for me. Okay, but Fritz Von Erich says that he has proof that you paid Gary Hart $10,000 for what happened to Kerry in Oklahoma. Well, Fritz Von Erich's a frustrated man. You see, he'd like to see one of his boys be the world champion. Right now, it, Kerry is the shining star in the family. He'd like to see Kerry Von Erich defeat me and become the world heavyweight champion and uh, <laughs> Fritz I'm sorry but that charge of him having proof that I had that done is ridiculous as you well know Kerry Von Erich is going to be back in five to six weeks and he says that he wants to wrestle you whether you're the champion or not will you give Kerry Von Erich a match well I'm the world champion and rest assured it won't be whether or not I will be the world champion in five or six weeks. And Kerry Von Erich, as great as the people in Texas may think you are, as great as you may think you are, as great as your father may think you are, 
you are not in the class of Ric Flair. I'm a legend of my own time. 31 years old, filthy rich, custom made, and the greatest wrestler ever. Not of modern times, but of all time. If you want me in the ring, punk, <laughs> and I'm hoping you'll have an opportunity to see this interview, you get a contract, you get it signed, you give me a little incentive, and I'll be there. Fritz Von Erich has wanted to confront Ric Flair, the world heavyweight champion, with this bounty situation, the bounty that Flair paid to have Kerry hurt. So we have them in separate studios. Let's go right now to them. Uh, Fritz, can, uh, can you hear me? Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine, Bill. Good to see you today. And I want to move over now to Ric Flair. Can you uh, hear me okay, Rick? I can hear you, brother. Let's remember one thing. I'm a busy man. My time's worth a lot of money. If you've got something to say, let's get it over with. All right, let's move right into this then. Ric Flair, now based on the evidence of the check presented to the NWA and the fact that there is going to be a rematch, a, another heavyweight championship bout with you and Kerry, are you ready today to admit the bounty, to admit that you asked for the bounty to get Kerry hurt? Let's get one thing straight. Everybody seems to be drawing the conclusion that I paid Gary Hart a bounty to do something to Fritz Von Erich's boy, Kerry Von Erich, in an attempt to eliminate him from the championship picture. I will never admit to this. I'm the world heavyweight champion. I'm one of the wealthiest athletes alive. I wear the finest clothes, date the most beautiful women, driving the biggest cars, and I'm the toughest piece of work in pro wrestling. And Fritz Von Erich, Southwest Sports, the NWA, nobody else. It's going to stand here and accuse me of something until I admit it. You better believe it didn't happen. Well, Fritz, what's your response to that now? In there somewhere was an answer, but I'm not sure exactly what he said, except he would not admit it. Bill, I've always had trouble responding to morons in the first place. This guy doesn't make any sense at all. He's only defending himself for an action that he knows that, he, that took place. There's no question about that. This is... This proof would stand up in any court in the United States, and it certainly did stand up with the National Wrestling Alliance. This man represents the belt of the National Wrestling Alliance, which is the largest wrestling organization in the world, by far the biggest. He is the symbol carrier. This man wears the belt and says, I'm the best in professional wrestling. When my son, Kerry, should be the world champion right now, there's no question about it. Kerry Vonerich will soon have him back in this ring and with the stipulations right now that have been added as a result of the proven conspiracy of Ric Flair should be very shortly the new world heavyweight champion. I tell you what I'm going to do. Put that camera back on me for a minute. And I wish I was in the same studio right now with you, Fritz Von Erich, and could look you right in the eye when you hear what I've got to say. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go one step further than anybody here on this television program expected me to do. Assuming that maybe I paid a bounty to get rid of your kid. Obviously, I've had good reason to do anything I wanted to do. You had a lot of nerve. He has a lot of nerve. The whole state of Texas had a lot of nerve calling him the uncrowned world champion because I wouldn't defend my title. Now you've got as far as to put me the most gorgeous human being and one of the greatest athletes alive in a cage match in the reunion. Hold it, you moron. Listen to me. 
If I was anywhere near you right now, I would be right there getting you by the throat. You would no longer be a contender yourself. Yeah. Because you wouldn't be there. Well, let me you. tell you something, all six foot seven and 280 pounds of you. You got to remember one thing. You want the cage match. The NWA wants the cage match. Your kid wants the cage match. And brother, you look me in the face and I'm ask. You put me in a cage and try to take my life away from me. The only attribute that you have to be a world champion is that big, massive tongue. That tongue won't be a factor in that ring, partner. Yeah. You can leave that in the dressing room. It'll be two physical bodies in that ring. Only one is coming out the champion. And I'm going to end this asinine thing right here and now. My son, Kerry, will be the next world heavyweight champion. So enjoy it while you can. And let me end this my side of a one way by saying this. I don't mind bleeding, and I don't mind slapping, and I don't mind paying the price to be where I am. And for I'm talking to you, Terry, and I'm talking to you, Fritz. You wanted the match, now you accept the consequences, because this is going to stay mine for a long, long time. Woo! Cut that camera, that's enough of that. 1989. Coco Beware. Yeah, fired. He was fired from WWF. What happened, and I'm sure you've heard about it before, Coco Beware was part of a WWF event that was taking place overseas in Europe. And while overseas, he got into a fist fight with a WWF executive by the name of Jim Troy. Now, a lot of this incident revealed that this Jim Troy used racial expletives against Coco Beware, which pissed him off even more. But there's a lot to this story that you may have never heard before, especially the fact that after the incident ended, it seems like Coco Beware was looking for this guy in the hotel rooms as well. And I'm not taking either side here, but unfortunately, we have no interviews that were done over the years with Jim Troy. I don't think anybody's ever seeked him out for comment. But Coco Beware has talked about this incident. And there is an, an extended interview with Coco Beware on YouTube if you want to go listen to it. I just wanted to give you the meat and potatoes of what Coco Beware thinks back at this incident. And if you listen closely, he kind of tries to involve Shawn Michaels in this incident. So, and we will talk about Shawn Michaels and fights later on. Trust me, we actually have something big to cover. So here you go. Very quick clip. Coco Beware talking about this week in 1989 when he got into that fight with Jim Troy, which led to him being fired. Vince had a, a guy named Jim Troy. I believe Jim Troy, Jim Stewart, one of them. That he was his executive. And one night, he was all at this bar, and I was playing the piano, and Shawn Michaels there, you know, was there, and... And uh, some more guys was there. And uh, Shawn Michaels and his, his executive got into it. And they got spitting in each other's face and stuff. And somebody came and said, Coco, you need to go over and stop Shawn Michaels. And I think it's Jim Troy. Okay? Don't quote me with it. It may, it may be Jim Stewart. What, it's just one of them. I know it. I'm thinking it's Jim Troy. Okay. And uh, I went over there, and I said, uh, come on, guys, let's break it up. Let's 
Let's don't do that, you know. By that time, Jim Troy, he was he was all involved. In, There's here come another phony ass wrestler. Blah blah blah. You know, he said, yeah. He said, you know, Vince pays me a lot of money to to put up with you phony ass wrestlers and stuff like that. I'm a hockey player. I'm a lot. We're a lot tougher than you fucking the phony wrestlers. Yeah, excuse my language again. Uh, phony wrestlers and stuff, and and uh, and so he counted. He counted. Push Sean out of the way. Get out of the way and haul off and shove me. Shove me back. Bam. Then I said, Troy. I said, Man, why are you trying to fight me? You know. Then he hauled off and slapped me. When he hauled off and slapped me. That's when I lost my coup. And I beat Mr. Troy just like Muhammad Ali beat Joe Frazier. I mean, I beat him to death. And and uh, he jumped. He finally had enough energy. He jumped up. He got up off the floor. He ran out the door. I was so mad. I cut my hand. I don't know if you can see it. The palm of my hand, that's a beer bottle cut. They sold me up my hand up in the hotel. The doctor came to the hotel over in Europe, sold my hand up. Wow. And uh, I went and, and uh, found Marty Janetti. And I told Marty Janetti what happened. Sean wouldn't fight back. He he hauled off and spit in Sean's face and shoved Sean and everything. Sean wouldn't fight him back. He hauled off and shoved me and slapped me. Then I still fought. I fought him. Marty was mad. Where's he at? Where's he at? Marty Janetti went to the front lobby and asked the clerk, "What room is Jim Troy in? What room is Jim Troy in?" The guy was moving so slow. Marty jumped over the desk, <coughs> hitting the guy, the clerk. You know. Give me the keys. Where's he at? Me and Marty and Jeanette went to Jim Troy's room. Marty kicked the door. Bam! Kicked the door open. And he tore that apartment up. Was the guy in there? The guy wasn't there. Troy wasn't there. But he tore the apartment up. Now we go back up to the lobby. Jim Troy is getting out of the taxi. As he gets out of the taxi... I'm waiting for him. I said, Troy, it's not over yet. I blasted him again. This lobby was was connected to their diner, the, the breakfast area, all in one area. Right. You got your check in over to your right, left it was uh, the the kitchen, uh, in the diner, and me and him got the fighting in the, in the diner, all oh, tearing chairs up, boom, boom, boom. Found I left him laying on top of the table. And the next day, Pat Patterson or somebody saw me. His wife was coming over to meet him. And man, when she kind of hit that airport, when she hit the, the hotel, she said, oh my God, what happened to my husband? Man, he was, both eyes was black. Blacker than me, you know. And... So Pat said, oh my God, man, I can't, what happened last night? And I told Pat what happened and everything. 
Meantime, Hogan was on the deal. And so that night, we get ready to go to Paris. We were wrestling Paris. Terry Garvin said, Coco, Vince wants you to go home and uh, he'll call you. So I went and told Terry. I said, Terry, I'm not, I'm not working tonight. Vince wants me to go home. Terry had a fit. I said, because Hogan already had trouble with this executive guy over there. They've been arguing back and forth. And so, uh, so Terry said, no, you're not going. You're not going. He said, then finally talked to Vince, and they got the argument back and forth, and then Hogan told me, go ahead and go home. He said, but I guarantee you, you'll be back. So when I left, I went home. Vince got all of me. God damn it, Coco, what's wrong with you? Beating up my damn executive. I can't help you beating up my, you wrestle, beating up my, my executive, my people in the office and stuff like that. I, I told Vince the story and everything. He said, yeah, but damn it. I can't have him trying to I can't have him trying to beat up wrestlers either and stuff like that. I just can't have it. He said, Coco, you know, you know, when you think you're right, it, it could be wrong. When you think you're right, it'll be wrong, it could be right. And stuff like that. He said, Well man, you have no eye. He said, Do you know you really just beat the hell the crap out of him? You know, you know, said Vince, I you know, I man, I don't know what happened. My man slapped me. I mean, I don't know what to do but defend myself. You know, he shoved me, and I took that. And he turned around, and slapped me, and man, I just, I just lost it. Right. And he said, "I can't have it." I said, "I'm gonna have to get rid of him. Then I'm gonna have to get rid of you." And and today, uh, I guess Vince still holds it against me. And but I don't have anything against him. And I know on beyond the mat, that that was that question came up again. What happened to, uh, why'd you get rid of Coco Beware? And Vince told him that, you know, I think I jumped on, jumped on his executive. But that's the whole living God truth on my mother's grave and Vince's father's grave. That, uh, that was the truth that happened over there. That's really why that uh, it kind of ended my career for the WWF and, but, you know, my thoughts about the about WWF are still uh, I still love it. I mean, what I'm saying, I still I would you know I, I would give it a thing to just get one more chance. I mean, just not to wrestle, but just go to Madison Square Garden and walk down the aisle and just wave my hand to the crowd. I don't want to be jumped on. I don't want to be nothing. I just want to do that. Right. And that just because. You know, uh, it's just that's where I, I really uh, kick things off in Madison Square Garden. Now, if you listen at the very end, Coco Beware saying he wanted that one last moment in Madison Square Garden. I know a lot of you may have forgotten, but you may think for a minute that, oh, he was in the Hall, WWE Hall of Fame. He got his moment, Madison Square Garden. No, when he was put into the Hall of Fame in 2009, that took place. In Houston, Texas. And I honestly don't recall Coco Beware being in the garden for any, you know, raw anniversaries or any, you know, backstage skits at all. Who knows? I mean, maybe I'm drawing a blank right now, but I figured I'd share with you some comments that he made about that particular fight. 
Now we go to 1992, Saskatoon, Canada, Saskatchewan. And I know some of you in Canada are probably going to say, ah, he's only going to say Saskatoon. It's too hard to say the word Saskatchewan. Bret Hart defeats Ric Flair this week in 92 to win the WWF Championship. First title reign ever for Bret Hart. And, you know, people have noted over the years that Bret Hart was the first person to win the WWF heavyweight title at an untelevised event since Hulk Hogan did it in 1984. Now, yes, Hogan won at Madison Square Garden, but was WWF doing pay-per-views on a monthly or even a bi-yearly, annually basis? You know, what did you have? Superstars, championship wrestling. I mean, what did you really have back in 84? So, you know, I, I understand why people say that because since Hogan became the champion, you had all this new TV that was happening for WWE Saturday night's main event and other things. So Bret Hart winning it at a house show seemed a little bit rare, but um, still, this was a big moment. The match, luckily, has been released. I think it was on one of Bret Hart's DVDs, unreleased matches later on. I'm going to give you just the final eight or nine minutes of the match. Very entertaining, since this did not air originally on television, and I know a lot of you out there probably have never seen it, especially since this is Bret Hart's first heavyweight championship win. So here you go. This week in 1992, Bret Hart versus Ric Flair for the WWF heavyweight title. These fellows have been going hammer and tongue for a long time in the ring. Surely the pace is going to slow down. It's been a blistering pace set by both men, challenger and champion. Look at our camera. That's number five again with that close-up of Mr. Perfect. Certainly was. And even a more concerned look creeping over the kisser of Mr. Perfect. Yes, as these minutes and seconds sink by. Look! Sleeper hold! Not one of Brett's favorites. And look at that. Champion turns it to his own advantage immediately. Oh, he's there with everything. He's up to every test that's been applied to him by the challenger, Bret Hart. A magnificent effort here, not only by the champion, but by the challenger too. And I don't know, but looking at these two, I would say that the champion is slightly in front. Uh oh look at this, Alfred. Perfect went into his pocket there. No telling what he's got. Small package by the champ. No. Well, he attempted that once before. It didn't succeed, and it didn't succeed then. Bret Hart has changed his tactics several times during the course of this match. He really can improvise all the way along. Nicely done. Double underhook by the champ. What determination by Bret. He's hung in there through thick and thin. He's dealt many of his own severe blows, but quite honestly, to his consternation, the champion hasn't buckled. Look out. Oh, oh he didn't get out of the way that time, did he? he? He did not, but that was a little self-destructive also by Flair. I think that was Excedrin headache number 35, Alfred. <laughs> I'm inclined to agree with you there 100%. Wow. Bret Hart almost motionless for a moment there. Moves like that that make me glad I retired. Hard into the corner, look out. Champion more deliberate now with each move. 
and not a clean kick out this time by Bret Hart. He's actually weakening. The signs are there. The champion's got him now. The momentum has completely swung in the champion's favor. This is going to be another one of those glorious defense. Wow, baby! Nice move by the hitman, but not enough to keep the champ down. No, I was going to say this is going to develop into another glorious title defense by Flair. He's famous for those. Ah, oh, here it comes. Here's the figure four of his own. He's got it on. Now we'll see what the hitman's made of. Well, we certainly will do. We do have some idea of what he's made of, but nobody has escaped from this figure four. One, two, nearly three. A little more confident look now on the part of Perfect. And Flair right at home with that patented figure four slapped on right in the center of the ring. And so beautifully applied to perfect leverage all the way through there. But has Flair got the strength to make Hart submit? Well, the more you fight to get out, the more the pressure becomes. The more pain involved. Indeed. But there's also another factor there. The right leg of Flair, the way he's got that hooked in there, could be cutting off his own blood supply to that leg. leg it could get numb and possibly lose his traction. Well, he's got it on there. It's cinched up pretty good. Hitman needs to turn over here, Alfred. Would be to his advantage. Well, he looks like he's going to achieve that. Now it's even more pressure. Oh, when, oh you went around too far. Well, I guess that was intent to I make it so. to the ropes. I think that was right. I think you're... How about that, my guy? Oh, he's very, very pleased. He's still favoring the left arm from the beating it took before. He's limping slightly, but then I want to see Bret Hart on his feet and see how he's been affected by all this pressure. Well, that figure four takes its toll on the lateral collateral ligaments of the knee, and it's so easy to pop and dislocate that patella, that kneecap, the pain becomes excruciating. Oh, tell Bret Hart about that. But he is so brave, he is so courageous, this young man, this challenger. Someone at ringside just said something derogatory to the champion, and he let him know about it. What did he say? He said, keep your big mouth shut. Very he wasn't talking to you, was he, Alfred? <laughs> I certainly hope not. No, he was looking in the other direction. I don't want to incur his wrath. He's a very angry man at times. Champion seems to be on top of things here, has taken control of this one continues to go to work on that left leg of the hitman. Gorilla, I gasp in absolute amazement here. The punishment that Hart has taken, he's still in there with a chance, not a very good chance at the moment. He's suffering very badly, but he's actually still in there. Now, Flair has belabored other opponents like this, and they haven't had, well, the, as much time in the ring with him. Complete truth, Alfred. And the hitman favoring that left leg very strongly. However, he was able to put a little bit of weight on it, Alfred. I was surprised. Well, that would surprise me too. I wanted to see him, as I said a couple of minutes ago, back on his feet, see how he fares then. I'm surprised that Flair doesn't slap it on again. Well, he says we're gonna go now. There it is. Oh, he got caught right in the middle. 
What was that close? Oh, he is so dangerous, Hart. Just when you think you've got him completely and utterly beaten, he'll spring a little surprise on you like that. And that takes you completely unaware. It's demoralizing. Finding the energy from where I don't know to fire back the hitman. Surprising me, Alfred. Absolutely. Well, he's on his feet now. Maybe we'll, we'll be able to observe more closely his ability to be mobile. And it doesn't look too bad, Gorilla. No. Unloaded with some right hands here. Got the champ backing up. Whoa! Well, there's a difference between a champion and a challenger. Uh, and that's one reason why Flair is the champion. But this is not a reason I don't like this tactic. Stay inside the ring, you're doing so well there, Flair. Why go to these high-risk moves? Absolutely, he's doing so well with what he was doing before. Oh, look at that, Hitman was playing a little possum there. He got him, he caught him in midair. Look out. Oh, nicely done. Twisted him in midair, he came down on his right side. And now the pendulum looks, for all intents and purposes, to have swung in the other direction. Another big backdrop. And again, that all-important twist put into it. Two count, oh. was that close? 2.9, I think, there. So close indeed. What's happened to Flair? He sucked all the energy out of him. Reverse neck breaker. Look at perfect. He's perhaps seen his meal ticket go out the window. I think he is here because look at this. Hart in full control and full cry. He is so magnificent in this match. This all-important World Wrestling Federation Championship match. Hitman, second turnbuckle on the inside. Finds the mark once again with the elbow. Over hooks the leg. Why doesn't he go for the sharpshooter? I don't know. I really don't understand that tactic. But he knows what he's doing better than us because a little while ago everything looked so bleak and black for him and so despairing. But now look at him. He's in full charge. All his authority being stamped on this match. Suplex well executed. Over for the cover. No. You're not going to beat Flair that way. I don't think so. I really don't think so. Why do you think he's adopting those tactics, Gorilla? Well, obviously doing a lot of damage and taking a lot of heart out of the champion. I think so, demoralizing him. But can you do that to a man with an ego like Flair has? Look at Flair, he's, he's stuck. He can't move. What is it? Well, I think perhaps his hip might have gone out on him. But now they're just exchanging right hands. And the challenger's got the best of it. As you say, sometimes, Gorilla, maybe the tank has gone empty on Flair. I don't think so. I think he's hurt, Alfred. He's perched up there now. Look out. Superplex coming up. Oh, yes. Oh, what a beautifully. Execution is so beautifully done. That could be the beginning of the end. And Hart showing no signs of anything wrong with his legs now. Now he's going for the sharpshooter. He's got it turned over. And just look at this. Flair's getting up. And he's trying to 
1993, USWA. I hope you've been listening for the last month or two, especially enjoying the Vince McMahon promos on the USWA, being Mr. McMahon four years before Mr. McMahon was officially born on television. Well, if you follow everything up until this week, Vince McMahon now had Macho Man invade USWA to try to take the unified heavyweight title from Jerry Lawler. And the first time that they faced each other two weeks ago, Jerry Lawler actually lost the title to Randy Savage. But they did some chicanery where, you know, there was a chain that the referee didn't see. And Jeff Jarrett, you know, brought it to the ref's attention. They reversed the decision. Jerry Lawler was still the champion. Well, this week in 1993, Randy Savage, in a return match against Jerry Lawler, did, in fact, win the title. So Randy Savage now is the USWA Unified Heavyweight title. This is the storyline. Vince McMahon against Jerry Lawler and USWA. Vince doing promos, holding the, wearing the belt. It was really, really cool. You know, remember, Tatanka had won the title as well on behalf of Vince McMahon. But unfortunately, Randy Savage would vacate the title very shortly. Now, I don't want to go too far ahead, but... The week of November 20th, we will talk about it in detail because that week is the week that Randy Savage vacated this USWA Unified Heavyweight Championship. And what really sucked about it was the storyline between Vince, Macho Man, and others against the USWA came to an abrupt halt. And as I've kind of teased before, that to me, in my opinion, looking back on it, a 13-year-old girl is the reason why this storyline came to an abrupt end. Who knows how much farther it would have went? Who knows if it would have ended up trickling onto Monday Night Raw? But still, when the time comes, we will definitely cover it. So as of right now, Randy Savage, the USWA Unified Heavyweight Champion. 1995, you've been enjoying Steve Austin now in ECW doing a Steve Mania, putting down WCW. Well, at the same time, Steve Austin was, in fact, meeting with the WWF. This week in 95, Austin had his second meeting with the WWF, and this meeting pretty much locked up Steve Austin uh, wrestling for the WWF. Now, yes, he would have some more appearances with ECW first, and right before he left ECW, he did shave his head almost completely bald. So this was an important week regarding Steve Austin and his future career with the WWF. Now, we're going to get into another audio clip. This is going to run a little bit longer, but I think you'll really enjoy it. I got so much cool feedback, and it's and it's awesome being an ECW fan back in the early 90s and having newer young listeners now who did not experience a lot of ECW back then, hearing these promos and little match clips and being introduced to it for the first time. Got so much cool feedback last week regarding Cactus Jack's promo and the storyline of him wanting Tommy Dreamer to go to WCW. Well, this week in 95, Cactus Jack did it again. He not only cut an awesome promo on Tommy Dreamer, Again, but this week in 95, he had a match with El Puerto Riqueño. That's what they actually called him, El Puerto Riqueño <laughs> in ECW. Uh, in fact, this was 
El Puerto Riqueño's debut for ECW. It wasn't his debut match because I got to set this up a little bit. But this week in 95, Cactus faced El Puerto Riqueño. Cactus refused to wrestle hardcore. He was intentionally having a boring match. The fans start doing a wave, which was absolutely phenomenal. I love the ECW fans. I I used to go to Philly once in a blue moon. You know, it was hard sometimes with work to be able to get down there and drive the two, three hours. Plus, you stand on these long lines. And, you know, I always worried about not getting in, you know, and driving all the way over there for nothing. But I, I did not go to this event. I'm not going to lie. But just the ECW fans made it so much more fun. And they were such an important part of ECW back then. But here are the audio highlights of Cactus Jack against El Puerto Riqueño. And the reason why I'm playing that match is what I just said. But not only that, after the match was over, Tommy Dreamer comes out to try to make the save for El Puerto Riqueño, who's getting his ass kicked from Cactus Jack and Raven. They then beat the fuck out of... Tommy Dreamer, Raven and Cactus Jack. And, you know, you'll hear Cactus using barbed wire and this and that. This would lead to Terry Funk coming back to ECW and the match that I absolutely, one of my favorite all-time matches in ECW. Ever since I watched it in 1995, when it first went down, it remains my top five matches of all time in ECW. November to remember, 1995, Cactus Jack and Raven versus Terry Funk and Tommy Dreamer. You know, I I think that's when they debuted the chant, EC fucking W, EC fucking W, EC fucking W. So getting back to El Puerto Riqueño, And this is pretty funny. If you ever get the tape, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's his debut in ECW. And originally, he is supposed to face Jason Knight, sexiest man alive. And El Puerto Riqueño comes out wearing some generic black mask, no design on it. it. It just looked funny. And he's got this mask on and Jason is slapping him. And I think Jason at the time was cutting a promo and saying, you know, why do you got to hide your face? And El Puerto Riqueño just pulls the mask off like, you know what, fuck this. It was just so funny the way he did it. He was green as hell. In fact, didn't he go to WWF and he was Babu? Remember Babu? Babu? I think he was Babu in the WWF. But same guy. I'm pretty, um, my memory's correct. So they fight to a no contest. This leads to Cactus Jack taking on El Puerto Riqueño. And what you're going to hear is, you know, the match itself, the beatdown of Tommy Dreamer, and the awesome promo that Cactus Jack cut on Tommy Dreamer after the match was over. Sit back and enjoy. Cactus Jack, at one time, one of the most loved athletes here in the ECW arena, now much hated by all the fans due to his allegiance with the Raven.
shows referee Jim Holland a lot of frustration.
was a result of your own selfishness. Years ago, you and I walked side by side, best friends. But when I needed you the most, you were not there. Now Cactus Jack needs you for a higher purpose, and you're not there for him either. So Cactus Jack and I walk side by side as the true friends you and I should have been. Tommy, I hope you understand that you had to be hurt tonight because my words apparently were not getting through to you and a show of force unfortunately became necessary. But I pity you, Tommy, lying there in a weakened state because I didn't realize just how into your brain these hardcore fans had gotten. You see, I took it for granted that one show of force would be enough that you'd see the way and you'd walk down the path to righteousness. So I don't blame you for the sins that they've committed, for the way they've clouded your mind. But Tommy, nonetheless, you had to be hurt. I don't think the people fully understand what I'm going through here. 
I don't think the people truly understand what kind of crosses powerful righteous men like us need to carry. You see, Tommy, sometimes when the world and you in particular have got me down, I will tune my television set into WTBS, turn the volume down, and let the basking rays of their good and moral programming rain all over me. And as I lie in a meditative state, awaiting my next move, awaiting my next challenge, I fell asleep, Tommy, and woke up to realize that it had all come to pass, that all my suffering had been worth it, and not only was Tommy Dreamer a member of World Championship Wrestling, he was their tag team champion. But as I wiped the sleep from my eyes, I realized it was not Tommy Dreamer holding those belts. They were exact replicas. Tommy, how long do you think the higher minds at World Championship Wrestling were going to wait for you? They are the big boys in our sport for a simple reason. When they see something they like, they go after it. And if they can't get it, they'll create their own. But that very thought is the thing that keeps me going. You see, Tommy, it's not all through for you because all oh, the magic that those minds can weave. You see, what your mother and father told you about being anything you want in this world, well, it may not be true most of the time, but in the magical land of WCW, you truly can be anything you want to be. I've seen it all a hundred times, Tommy, the magic they can weave. I've seen a tough Jewish kid from Brooklyn become a black man from Macon. I've seen a farm kid from Nebraska become an overnight rap star sensation. I've seen a kid from New Hampshire become a Frenchman. And one particular wrestler who went through five different incarnations before finding himself the heavyweight champion of the world. And though he may be that champion in an entirely different federation, I think if you asked him, he would admit that it was the love, compassion, and monetary compensation he received while part of the WCW family that brought him to where he is today. Well, I'm not going to underscore WECW because there are some dramatic changes that go on there as well. Oh, yeah. Take the Rotten Brothers. Two naive kids with fake English accents suddenly becoming starred for life mutant freaks. Where are they now? They don't even have a job. Take your beloved Mikey Whipwreck. Mikey Whipwreck went from being one of the nicest people I'd ever met to a bumbling fool. You want a challenge in your life, then I challenge you to have a meaningful 10-word conversation with Mikey Whipwreck. It can't be done! He's had too many concussions. His brain has turned to jello. You know, it might be real cute now to root for underdog Mikey on his quest for the championship, but wait five years! When he can't hold a job, 30-year-old Mikey, 40-year-old Mikey, senile old man Mikey, and the ECW fans are causing his demise. And then there's Tommy Dreamer. Maybe the most stunning transformation of them all. A man on the helm of superstardom, 
a good-looking kid reduced to a bloodthirsty, woman-abusing person on a roller coaster trip straight to hell! Unless I step in and save the day, and Tommy Dreamer, you're making that very difficult. But you better be thankful that Cactus Jack underwent a transformation of his own. It wasn't WCW, it wasn't ECW. It's because one man had the courage, the strength, and the compassion to open my eyes. And so I'm saying, Tommy, the situation is more serious than you would assume. WCW is a proud organization. They've got a reputation for family values. And they can't afford to have a woman abusing man screwing up their TV syndication. So Tommy, time is of the essence. And that's why, not because I harbor any hatred for you, but much to the contrary, I love you, man. Can't you see that? And I'm trying to save your spiritual life. But you're making it so damn hard. You want proof? of what hardcore wrestling can do. And you ask me, well, Cactus, if you love the place so much, why don't you go back? I can't, Tommy. It's all over for me. I'm trying to save you. Can't you see that once ECW gets a hold of you for too long, you'll become ruined merchandise. You're no longer marketable. They don't want a scarred freak like Cactus Jack. Too much emotional baggage. And I don't deserve to be forgiven for the insensitive comments I made to Mr. Turner, for the foolish behavior I showed to my dearest Uncle Eric. I deserve to deal in the depths of this hell on earth that you call ECW. So, Tommy, they tell us we got a match October 28th. I don't think so. Because I'm counting on your knowledge and just one little bit of common sense to prevail and understand that we're the only friends you've got. It's not those people chanting for your blood. It's these two people praying for your soul. Grant me that serenity, Tommy Dreamer. Grant it! Sticking with 1995 a little bit longer... This week in 95, Bill Watts, after being with the WWF for just three weeks, is gone. Well, not many of you out there knew that Bill Watts was actually in WWF for a little while. You know, he's done some interviews over the years talking about it, you know, just basically saying, look, it didn't work out, blah, 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 blah. Some people have made claims that there was some big creative differences. Some people said that Bill Watts wanted the locker rooms or in public, you know, baby face and heels totally separate from each other. And this and that don't know how much of it is accurate or not. But, you know, I do believe that it was no hard feelings when he did leave. But something else happened this week in 95 as well. The infamous Syracuse fight. Shawn Michaels against a bunch of military guys. Now. There are some reports online. Kevin Nash has done an interview. A few people have talked about it. You know, there are some people that still think to this day that that fight was storyline. If I remember correctly, when didn't they interview Shawn Michaels shortly after this fight, maybe a couple of days after, and he was supporting a black eye in the WWF? Now, look, the black eye could have happened anywhere for any reason. But, you know, basically there are real newspapers out there. If you want, Google the Syracuse Post Standard because they actually wrote an article shortly after this fight took place. 
And they were talking about how a gang of four or five men attacked Shawn Michaels. He was at a club called Club 37. I don't know if it was a strip place or not, but he was there with X-Pac and the British Bulldog. And, um, you know, look, there's some, dis- you know, the- some conflicting stories online. The one that seems to stick more than anything was that Shawn Michaels may have been hitting on the girlfriend of a military guy who was with a bunch of other uh, his other friends in the military, and they ended up beating up Shawn Michaels. That's pretty much the story that everybody sticks to. But um, if you're fascinated by it, like I said, there is some legitimate articles online that are still posted. You could go back and see it. In fact, I think on my synopsis pick this week, I'll put a little screenshot of one of them. This way you could see what I'm talking about. You know what? Let's continue with Shawn Michaels a little bit further. 1997. Now, at this point on Monday Night Raw, you got Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Ravishing Rick Rude, China, all four of them together. Their click with no name. They're feuding with Commissioner Slaughter. Shawn Michaels is feuding with Bret Hart. The four of them are feuding with the Hart Foundation. And it was this week in 1997 that the four of them finally got a name. D-Generation X. Here is the promo that I'm sure a lot of you will remember when they finally created the name of their faction, D-Generation X. Conspicuous by his absence, the British Bulldog, who is celebrating both an anniversary and a birthday. I'm sure you want to wish uh, your brother-in-law a happy birthday. Aside from that, Bret Hart, obviously you're not in a very good mood considering what has happened as of late. What with... The antics of Shawn Michaels and the impending match you're going to have at the Survivor Series with the same Shawn Michaels. And of course, let's face it, you can't be happy with last week's loss to Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Would you care to comment on what has happened as of late? Oh, hold on. That's right. You would love to comment on what happened to the hitman last week. Now, before the hitman puts a sleeper hold on this crowd and puts them all to sleep, we would love to tell the hitman that I know you're getting old. I know you're jerking the curtain (laughs) on my cards. At Survivor Series, I know we're going to be in your neck of the woods in Canada. Well, I got some footage for you. I don't want everybody to see this because nobody knows Canada like I knows Canada. Hit the footage, Daddy-O. Oh, no. There, look at there. Look at that way up there. That tickle your brain? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's it? Yep. There you go. <laughs> you know something, Hitman? Let's take a look at a little piece of footage I got for you from last week. I beat you so bad last week, my hands are still hurting me. And let's face it, Hitman, I'm younger than you. <laughs> Everybody's younger than him. Everybody. <laughs> I'm better than you. Everybody's better than him. <laughs> And I'm certainly bigger than you in more ways than one. Good God, you're gonna put an eye out with that thing. <laughs> anyway, let's run. Let's see Hunter's footage now. Hit the footage in the truck, boys. Come on. Oh, there we go. There's a, oh, he made oh, it. Oh, that's gonna leave him up. beat up by a girl. Oh, oh he's gonna, gonna beat up a woman. Attacking a woman. For sure. You shouldn't be picking on women, Hitman. Bad boy. Bad, bad. 
And now, okay, well, now, now the Pokey Twins, here's the Pokey Twins trying to make a road race. Look at the speed and agility here. Oh, the oh, 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 yeah. And balloon. Oh, and finally got, oh, 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 big fake out. Big fake out. They're out of there. Yeah, and your winner is Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. <laughs> How sweet it was. I tell you what. Why don't you two degenerates come down here right now and step in the ring with me right now? Either one of you, I don't care. Either one of you right here, right now. What? Is he challenging me? Is challenging us? Is he challenging, he challenging us? us? Let's see, let's see. No, right now, regularly, regularly, I would take him up on this challenge. And, but you know what I'm not gonna? You know what I'm not gonna? I'll tell you why. Because the last time I take him up on the challenge, was WrestleMania, and I beat his ass with that stupid piece of tin he's got on his shoulder. And Survivor Series, I'm gonna take that stupid piece of tin you got on your shoulders once again. I've beaten you, I've beaten your brother, I've beaten both your brother-in-laws, and I'll beat up your whole family if you get in my face one more time. And as far as I'm concerned, Bret Hart, you want a piece of me, huh? You want a piece of me? Come on, I'll take your hit, man. I'll give you the worst beating of your life. Wait a second. I did that last week. Oh. I already did that last week, Hitman. So never mind. I don't need to do it twice. I already did it. <laughs> I tell you what, I had so many shots to my head, I almost forgot how badly beat him up last week. <laughs> oh, Hitman, I got news for you. Sometime during this show, we are going to cross paths. And you talk about us being degenerates. You know what? I'm, I'm tired of Generation X getting what? a bad rap. You Everybody, think you're a degenerate? Do you think you're a degenerate? Well, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm positive I'm one. I guess I'd have to be one. Well, you know, Generation X always gets a bad rap. Everybody calls them degenerates. Degeneration X, is that us? Degeneration X, Triple H, HBK, China, Ravishing Rick. We are Degeneration X. You make your rules, and we will break them. Yeah. 1998, who could ever forget the moment where Steve Austin filled Mr. McMahon's gorgeous Corvette with cement and totally ruined it. You know, now when you say ruined in Vince McMahon's voice, you got to put a letter H in front of it. It's not, you ruined it. You, it's, you ruined it. You ruined it. Anyway, enough of that goofy shit. Just a little tidbit regarding the Corvette that some of you may not know. And this was never researched or discussed online. This is just from my opinion, you know, doing car insurance for 20 some odd years. I believe that Corvette was a 19... 84 and it was likely something that was with a blown engine something totally i don't want to say worthless but just a little tidbit regarding corvettes yours truly has wanted a corvette my entire life and not too long ago one of my customers had an 84 and he was just gonna you know he was gonna sell it he asked me if i wanted it he was gonna give it to me for nothing and I did some research about classic insurance for the vet and everything, and I learned that the 84 Corvette was the worst year. It was the transition from the old, smaller style to the newer style, and 84 was not a good year for Corvette. So if I was WWF at that time, no matter how much money they were making or how little, I would have gotten an 84 Corvette with a blown engine, at that time, maybe a couple of thousand at most. For a skit like that, it was worth it.
On the WCW side, most of what was going down this week focused around WCW. We're building up to Halloween havoc between the Warrior and Hulk Hogan. I don't give a shit what Eric Bischoff says. I don't give a shit what some people have said over the years. I marked out for the Ultimate Warrior being in WCW. I know a lot of my friends enjoyed it as well. He got great pops from the crowd. Didn't hurt the ratings. Didn't cause people to turn the channel. Maybe skits went a lot longer than they should have. And maybe some of the things he said nobody understood. But we were fans and we enjoyed it. And that was the bottom line. So this week in 1998, we get a dream match on Monday Nitro. Match that you never thought would be put together. Sting and the Warrior teaming up against Bret Hart and Hogan. Now think about that. Bret Hart and Hogan, their you know, friction that they had over the years, they're teaming up for the first time, I think, ever. And you got Sting and the Warrior. They're teaming up for the first time since, what, 1985? So you got a dream match. An awesome fucking match. Now, just for historic purposes... Just so you know, this match that took place on Nitro this week in 98 was the Warriors' last televised match ever. Free. Free televised match, I should say. No more Monday Nitros. No more Monday Night Raws. This was it. Yes, he appeared on pay-per-view. But as far as free TV goes, never again. Warriors' last match. So here's the match in its entirety. And honestly, I don't want to give anything away, but it's a fucking shame that the match ended up the way it did. This is pay-per-view main event quality names. WCW not only gave it away for free on Nitro, but to me, just totally ruined the ending. Little Wolfpack music. That means Sting by himself. That's exactly what it means. Together for the first time in professional wrestling history. Two superstars known for their individualism. Two men who almost always stand alone. Two men who are now united here on WCW Monday Nitro in a combination of action, power, Speed, experience, and guile that has never been witnessed before. First into the ring, wearing the black and red of NWO Wolfpack, the master of the Scorpion Deathlock, the man known as Steve. Shows you how much courage the man has. Walk to the ring by himself. Both men in the ring. He does not care. He stuck to the ring with revenge in his eyes, ready to go. And his partner will be coming out in a moment. This is a big moment, fans. The Warriors' first wrestling match on Nitro. The target is scoped and locked for destruction. Take the target out. Warrior Nation, he is Blue. 
Notice Hogan's on the floor. Yeah, and Hart, and that's not a bad move. No, it isn't. You know, a warrior always has been, you can always tie his success rate with momentum. When he comes to the ring, he always seems to get the first momentum. They have effectively now slowed that down here, Mike. Well, wrestling fans from around the world have waited 12 long years for this moment. Sting and the Warrior. They originally trained together when they broke into professional wrestling. Tag team for less than a year when they were rookies. They have not been together since 1985, and they're back together as a tag team on Nitro. How do you know this stuff? You probably know where Lindbergh's kid is. Let's see what the strategy session is going to bring out here. I know as far as Sting and the Warrior are concerned, it doesn't matter with him who starts. But uh, Bret Hart and Hogan are camouflaging the strategy session with the fact that they just want to slow this thing down to a crawl. Well, that's about it. That's the only strategy you can possibly use with these two is try to slow down the momentum the Warrior creates and the momentum Sting creates. Hogan comes in, he's pointing towards Sting. Of course he wants Sting. I mean, how many times did this guy come out here saying, hey, I want the Warrior. Well, he's got his chance, but now he says he wants to, uh, he wants Sting. Scott Dickinson calls the bell, and it will be Sting and Hollywood Hogan. in a mega super main event that we did not expect to have, but by golly, here we go. And you wonder about the implications. Sting never really gave a definitive answer to Bret Hart about the challenge for Halloween Havoc, but I think in effect, he said yes by wanting Bret Hart tonight in the ring. He ducks the Lariat and runs over Hogan. Up and down. Hooray for Hollywood! Sting looks over towards Bret Hart. Almost as if to say, take that, as he wails away on Hollywood Hogan in the neutral corner far side. Put in the tag. This is what we want to see. Sting and the Hitman. Little hesitation yeah. brain on that tag there. I was going to say, he was a little bit reluctant there. He wasn't going to jump into that. Can't blame him. Remember last week, the way Sting went through the buildings trying to find Bret Hart? And when he found him, when they both went to the hospital in different ambulances, then they had to separate and take one to the other hospital. Sting ducked out of the way, and Sting keeps the momentum going his way. You know what? This is what makes our sport great. There's a lot of things that go on, a lot of underhanded, devious tricks pulled by many men. But when you see guys able to get retribution physically in the ring, that... Oh! That's what makes it great. And it took a love love from Bret Hart and a pretty stiff one at that to take Sting down quickly. Well, the best thing for Hogan to do, along with Hart, is get Stinger back in their corner. The, the two HHs can work him over. Hollywood Hogan and Hitman Hart. Can't fool you. Bret Hart, very angry. See, Bret Hart wants to end this and get out of here, I, I think. And he tried to get the warrior to come in and 
specialty. I guess we should expect nothing less from the NWO black and white. Yeah, they're gonna get Sting back in that corner. Keep him away from the Warrior. Don't let him tag the Warrior. Hogan does not want the Warrior in there. You know, Sting has so much bad feeling. I know the Warrior does as well, but I really think in light of what's gone on the last couple of weeks, Sting has uh, maybe even more so. And there were times that I thought maybe Sting could try to get and make a tag, but he wanted to stay in there. Well, you know, this team of Hogan and Hart are working good together. Look at that. Hart cuts off the ring, draws the Warrior in. Hogan pulls Sting back. This is good teamwork. Ever since the cheap shots, the low blows, they've totally dominated, and there's a DDT. He's got him. Big cover, and it is not yet to count. Warrior screaming, you could hear his voice bellowing out. Come on, Sting. Just pleading for Sting to make it to the corner and put in the tag. Mission leg sweep. Now they've got him back in the corner. Quick tags, in and out, in and out, and don't let them up. That's what I'd be telling them if I was out there. I thought they'd be, uh, I thought they'd be a half a step behind, didn't you, Mike? Hogan and Hart, because they haven't teamed at all that I know of. I think they've only teamed one time before tonight. taking that punishment, those low blows, and still the perseverance to try the inside cradle to win the match. He strengthened to win a wrestling match. Bret Hart, way up, and way down. That's there. But Stinger's rolling in the wrong direction. Out of the ring, 
as the smoke came, we thought he would disappear, so they throw him out of the ring to keep him from disappearing, apparently, here, Mike. The Empire State has the baseball bat. And they're going to be the ones disappearing here now. I would. Scorpion death drop for Vincent. He's looking for Bret Hart, and Bret Hart's nowhere to be found. Well, eat your heart out, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. There's a two-fifth at home run threat right there in the stinger. And there's a bat here now on the outside. Warriors got Hogan's weight belt, and he's slashing every member he can get his hands on. Now, look, even though the ending of the match was shitty, the fact that these four guys faced off on Monday Nitro was awesome. And there was a lot of good points on this week's Monday Nitro, but not everything was good. It was around this time that we started getting Judy Bagwell on TV. I don't want to say on a regular basis, but enough where it annoyed the shit out of you. And, you know, for people out there that know what corpsing means, you actually pay close attention to Judy Bagwell, especially in this segment. Now, yeah, you can't watch it because this is an audio show. But if you ever watch some of these clips, her, her son is getting beat down and it looks like she's smiling. Now, we didn't have any future storyline where she turned on her son and all this other stuff. And she was, you know, you know, with Scott Steiner all along at the time. It just was not good. But just to give you a little random clip involving Judy Bagwell, here is Scott Steiner cutting one of his more entertaining promos, and it involves Judy Bagwell. And after it's done, I'll share with you a little disturbing tidbit about Judy Bagwell. I think a lot of people do not realize when they look back in the history of WCW. You know, professional athletes that have been through similar situations always seem to bond together. Just like my brother jumped on my back and I rode him, he rode me to all those world championships. The Chicago Cubs jumped on Sammy Sosa's back and hoped to get into the World Series. But I finally convinced Sammy that he needs to go to a contender. I finally convinced him that Chicago sucks. Last Monday Nitro, I had another woman 
step in this ring unwanted, uninvited, and she embarrassed Marcus Bagwell. And you see, we had a little problem, but I finally convinced Marcus that when buffs in my world, I'm the stuff. I finally convinced him to keep his stinking mother out of the NWO's business and keep his mother at home washing dishes, doing the laundry, and mopping the floors. So there's not going to be no fireworks tonight because Buff understands what an athlete I am. And me and Buff are just like this. Okay, well, if you, I guess that settles it. There, a little disagreement. With, oh, oh yeah, Mama's back. Well, he claims that they patched up the problems. Now let's find out firsthand from Mrs. Bagwell. What's her first name? Judy. Judy there Bagwell. is Judge Judy Bagwell. That's funny. <laughs> and she can lay down the law side by side this time with her son. She can probably lay down sod. a problem. The only problem I see is you know what an athlete I am and you got a hurt neck and you know I can break your freaking neck just like that. You know what, Scotty, like I told you last week in Indianapolis, I listened to this great woman right here named Judy Bagwell and she was right. This whole thing's gone too far, and you're the reason for it. It's all your fault. Every bit of it. Sounds like mommy's boy is getting a little soft. Maybe I should rip that shirt off your back right now. Last week, this wasn't so clear to me, but now it seems to be real clear. Maybe right now we just go one-on-one in Chicago. What'd you say, Chicago? Hey, Miss Bagwell. Hey, you old bag. Uh-uh. He Don't knows her. Don't go there. I told you, son, if you got in my business, he would have problems, and you have problems. I should have slapped you last Monday night, Joe. Marcus, you don't get here out right now. I'll put this old scallywag on the mat. You got that, Jack? Whoa! Oh, what a cheap shot. Obviously blood, much thicker than the black and the white. Oh, this him throat first, windpipe first across that top steel cable. You got any more Bagwell sons at home? Huh? You got any more Bagwell sons at home? Anybody stand? 
Who wants to stand up to me? Anybody in Chicago? Let's, Come on! We're going Come to a break. Down, he's, he's disgusting form of life. Back. You know, just a little tidbit that I think some people may not realize. That segment you heard just now took place this week in 1998. The Judy Bagwell on a forklift match. That match did not take place until New Blood Rising, August 13th of 2000. Now, look, the clip you just heard is 1998. Judy Bagwell on a forklift wasn't until 2000. Just gives you an idea of how long this woman was on WCW television. Now, look, she wasn't on there on a weekly basis or even a monthly basis. But the fact that they kept her on TV off and on for a couple of years, I did not realize that until I looked back and did the research. 1999, as we opened up in this episode on Monday Night Raw, we had The Rock giving the British Bulldog a rock bottom onto dog shit. And, you know, other things going on in pro wrestling this week weren't all that much better. Now, I will play you a little clip from Monday Nitro that we started to get. And it's a shame how this this character ended up. I don't want to give it away. But when he debuts and I play his promo and then we start giving further details that followed after that promo, you're going to be like, what the fuck happened? But this week, we started really getting the push of the coming of a new character to WCW called Seven. Awake, my son. What's under your bed? What's in your closet? Who is in your window? For newer listeners out there that may not know, Seven was a repackaged gold dust in WCW. These promos that they were doing, you know, there's been different clarifications of what he was, boogeyman or whatever you want to call it. But unfortunately, some people out there let their imagination run a little bit too wild. And I believe that people in creative thought that it kind of, had this aura of a guy, an adult, trying to attract little children, if you know what I mean. I think that's probably the best way I could put it. And I can't wait to play his debut on Monday Nitro. It's just 
you listen to it and it scratches your head. I hope 99.9% of you out there have never heard it. And I hope 99.9% of you out there don't look it up yet. Because when we share it and we get to shit on the disappointment of what this could have been, it was an interesting character. And I actually loved how he was debuted. I mean, you see him come out. It's amazing. Not amazing, but it's creative. But the promo that ensued, I really felt bad for Dustin at that time, to be honest with you. Wrapping up 1999, we had an event that is forever known for the wrong reasons. The Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view that took place in St. Louis, Mississippi. Is that right? St. Louis, Mississippi? Wouldn't that be Missouri? Maybe there is a St. Louis in Mississippi. I never thought of that. But, you know, they said that a little over 2,000 people were in attendance, but the pay-per-view buy rate was somewhere in the 20,000, the 20 to 25,000 range. And, you know, this was uh, the, as people have called it, from the mind of the college sports entrepreneur, Bill Stone, Huge wrestling fan, and his idea was to create quarterly pay-per-views featuring performers from the 80s and the 90s. Heroes of wrestling. Now, Gordon Soley, unfortunately, who was very ill at this time, was supposed to do commentary. He could not appear. But if you actually look at some of these matches on paper, it doesn't sound bad. The problem is, is that this is 1999. It's not 1992. It's not 1988. And yes, nostalgia is great. But when you want someone from the 80s, you want someone from the 80s who is maybe in their early 20s. Because now in 1999, they may be in their late 30s and could still go a little bit. When you have someone from the mid 80s who is already 40 years old and you bring him back and he's almost 60 years old, you know, it's not as good. But the match results, Samoan SWAT team over Marty Jannetty and Tommy Rogers, Greg Valentine over George the Animal Steel, Two Cold Scorpio over Julio Fantastico. Yes, not everybody was from the 80s, but yes, they had some from the 90s. And technically, Two Cold Scorpio was around in the early 90s. Bushwhackers over the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. At this time, Iron Sheik really could not move much at all. Tully Blanchard over Stan Lane. Abby and a one-man gang fought to a double countout. Jimmy Snooker over Cowboy Bob Orton. And then the main event, Jim the Anvil, Nightheart, and King Kong Bundy over Jake the Snake Roberts and Yokozuna. Yokozuna at this point, it's just terrible. It's embarrassing to see how bad his body had become as far as his weight. But this is the infamous uh, event. If you've ever seen Beyond the Mat, when Jake the Snake Roberts is high on crack and he's acting sexual towards his snake, this is the event. And at the very end, when he brings that girl in the ring, I don't know if anybody noticed it, but it looks like, you know, maybe Jake Roberts copped a little feel at that time. Now, look, in in this current era, Jake cleaned up his act. God bless him. You know, it's just it's awesome that, you know, we now remember Jake the Snake Roberts in a very positive way. But at that time in 1999, this was fucking disturbing. And this event got shitted on beyond belief. There is video all over the place online. And I was trying to find something to share on here, but it was just terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Some wrestlers did not disappoint, but the overall card was a mistake. And uh, I don't think 
he did another event. I don't recall ever Heroes of Wrestling 2. I could be wrong. I mean, maybe it'll come up, but I don't remember covering one over the last 41 weeks, and there's not that many weeks left in a year now. So let's go to 2000. Brock Lesnar makes his pro wrestling debut. Takes place at OVW in Indiana. He wrestled under his name, Brock Lesnar. And in his debut, he teamed up with Shelton Benjamin, and they defeated Chris Michaels and Sean Casey. Not that Sean Casey, famous from the Cincinnati Reds. And I don't know if this was Shelton Benjamin's debut, but it was very close to his debut, I believe. Also this week in 2000, we had something transpire on Monday Night Raw. I don't want to give too much of it away, even though I know you know what the outcome is already, but let you hear it as it happened at that time. Let's paint this picture a little bit. Survivor Series 1999. Steve Austin is run over by a car, rent a car, limo, whatever you want to call it, rent a car. Lincoln, I think, if I remember correctly. We don't know who ran over Steve Austin. And Mick Foley, who was the commissioner at the time, was promising that he was going to get to the bottom of it and find out who ran over Steve Austin. Now, remember, Steve Austin was run over at Survivor Series 99. We're now talking October of 2000. So now the whodunit comes to a head, and it happens this week back in 2000. Now, before we reveal who the person was that ran over Steve Austin, remember there was a main event match that took place that night. It was Rikishi and The Rock taking on Kurt Angle and Kane. And if I remember correctly, didn't Kane walk out on Kurt Angle towards the end of the match? And this set up, you know, like new storylines and everything. But that match... I'm going to play you the last two, three minutes of it, how it ended, and then you will find out who ran over Steve Austin and why. Can you imagine what this is going to do to Mick Foley's career if, and I mean a big if, if he doesn't come through, if the investigation doesn't end in King, what does that do to Mick Foley's credibility? Well, how could he ever show his face here on Raw again, or SmackDown for that matter? I think he'd have to resign. It wouldn't be a bad thing. Unfortunately, I think you're right. I think he would have to, re- to resign. Kurt Angle. Kurt's a very emotional number one contender, is he not? I think he got his feelings hurt. He got his, more than his feelings hurt. He got his face hurt by Kane. That's no way to treat your own partner. What's Kane thinking? Uh, Angle, hope he doesn't start crying. Shit, it's here. Kane, reverse kid lock on the rock. What, a, what an impressive maneuver for a guy as big and as strong and that much upper body strength. I'll tell you what's impressive and what's interesting is the fact that, that Stephanie seemed to be glued to that monitor back there watching this match with great interest. I think she's like, all the rest of us, I would, I would assume she's hanging around to find out who ran over Austin. Sidewalk slammed by Kane. Maybe, maybe. Pressure, pressure on the rock. And the rock hitting this time. It was the left shoulder that came off the canvas. And there's Kane's partner. I don't think Kane needs a oh, there she is. There's Stephanie. Does she look like she's waiting around to see who ran over the... Why call Steve Austin? Why else would she be here? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question, JR. I'll tell you what, Kane has never looked any better. Kane has beat the rock like a government mule for the majority of this bit. Rikishi would love the tag. The Rock needs to make the tag to Rikishi. Kane, what? Kane, you got no better than tag. You had a world of trouble now, Kane. See what you did. 423-pound Samoan powerhouse looking for the 
reaching down and firing out. At least enough to get his shoulders off the canvas. And Rikishi's 428 pounds. Can't keep getting down. That's it. You need to. My God, look at Rikishi. Rikishi just got up. But that's not going to happen tonight. I promise to deliver the person who ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin, and I will. Fortunately, my announcement will conclude what has undoubtedly been the worst week of my professional career. Unfortunately, all of the evidence points to you, Rock. Uh-oh. Stone Cold's watching this somewhere, I guarantee you. It was your rental car that ran down Stone Cold. Only your fingerprints, only your DNA were found inside the car. Hell, a pair of the rock sunglasses were found inside the glove box. And as Linda McMahon herself stated, no one else had as much to gain by Stone Cold's departure, did they, Rock? No, with Stone Cold out of the way, who sold the t-shirts? Who picked up the media appearances? Whose book went to number one? Don't tell me. Who showed up on television? Who got movie roles? I don't want to believe this, King. You have not fooled me, Rock. And therefore, right here in Anaheim, California. Not now. In the case of who ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin at Survivor Series, Mick Foley finds the Rock not Guilty. What? What? It was Foley! I told you! <laughs> it did but if it. you didn't do it, 
Who did? And I'm going to tell you who did. He did. Rikishi? What? Rikishi? Well, I hadn't quite figured it out until Scotty Tuati said something about hanging out backstage with Rikishi. Hell, Rikishi, you weren't even part of Survivor Series. You hadn't even debuted on television. Who else is close enough with The Rock to go inside his dressing room? Who else is close enough with The Rock to reach inside his bag and get his keys? The mirrors and the seat were configurated to fit not just a large man, but a very large man. That very large man is you. The only thing I don't know is why. I'm shocked. I, I, I'm stunned. I, Rikishi, I, why? Okay. What? I did it. What? Damn it. In case you didn't hear, I admit, I did it. I ran over Austin. It's a good thing the criminal charges were dropped. And you ask why? Damn right. I didn't do it for me. No, I didn't do it for me. I did it for... The Rock. What? Did it for The Rock? You see, Rock, I took your keys out of your bag that night when I went to go check into the hotel. And when I jumped into the car, I saw Stone Cold Steve Austin standing in the middle of the parking lot all alone. And suddenly, everything flashed right through my eyes. This is surreal, JR. You see, the WWF has always been all about the Great White Hope. What? Great White Hope? What do you mean by that? And I'm talking about such people as Buddy Rogers. People like Bruno San Martino. People like Bob Backlund. People like Hulk Hogan. And now, people like Stone Cold Steve Austin. You see, the WWF has always let the Island Boys in. But we were always held back. Held back? What's he mean? Now listen to me, Rock. And I really want you to listen to me. And I'm talking about people like your grandfather. 
well-respected man, High Chief Peter Maivia, could have became a WWF champion, but no, they held him back. People like Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Could have been a WWF champion, but no, they held him back. And people like Afa and Sika, Samu, and the Tonga Kid, they were all held back. So you see, Rock, I ran Stone Cold over, and I did this for you. Can't imagine the rock feels. I don't expect any favor from you, Rock. No. I don't expect no favors or no payback. Payback. Before, I want you people to know all around the world and set the record straight that the Rock did not have a damn thing to do with this. I take full responsibility. And you know what, Rock? Just you... Being who you are today is good enough for me and our people. And before I go, one more time, I ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin. And to tell the truth, I do it again. Oh man, I can't believe this. Rakishi, the assailant. Rakishi, the perpetrator that ran over Stone Cold. You son of a bitch. Wait a minute. Get ran over Austin. But what's going to happen now? What's going to happen? What is Stone Cold Steve Austin going to do? What's The Rock thinking right now? What is what is Rakishi thinking? He almost took a man's livelihood away. Took a man's living from him. How is Austin supposed to take care of his family? That son of a bitch is going to have hell to pay. I promise you. I swear to you. That on SmackDown Thursday night, Austin is going to gut and quarter Rakishi. What will Stone Steve off the new Thursday night. But what about The Rock? What about The Rock? 2001, Monday Night Raw. Steve Austin defeats Kurt Angle to win the WWF title. At the time, it was a record. Him and The Rock shared six-time WWF champions each. The Rock would break that record, summer of 02, where he would win the title for the seventh time. Still at that time, pretty impressive record. SmackDown that occurred later on in the week, you know, just a random promo I wanted to share with you from Diamond Dallas Page. Now, remember at this time, Nitro, WCW, out of business, the end of March. In fact, it took place on my birthday. And uh, Diamond Dallas Page, now in the WWF, fresh off of the storyline, disappointment with The Undertaker and Sarah. So they repackaged DDP, where he's constantly smiling and constantly smiling and constantly smiling and... Uh, This week, he talks about Kurt Angle losing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. I thought these were entertaining at the time. I'm sorry. It's me, D-D-P. And I have a very special message for a very special person. Kurt Angle. 
You know, Kurt, you're losing the WWF Championship to Stone Cold Steve Austin on Raw. It wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing. Why? Because, Kurt, you learned a valuable lesson. You learned that sometimes you have to lose things to realize just how valuable they really are. And now that you've lost the WWF Championship, you realize that nothing is more important to you than that. And when you're not the WWF Champion, you feel like a nobody. A nothing. A loser. But Kurt, you're not a nobody. You're a somebody. And even if you're not the WWF Champion, people still like you. I mean, I like you. I know you like me. And I just helped you like you. You know what? Let's stick with Kurt Angle for a moment. This week on SmackDown back in 2003, he had a confrontation with John Cena. And I think this was the first time where Kurt Angle tried out his rapping skills against John Cena. All right, here's the deal. In 10 days, Kurt Angle will be facing John Cena in this very ring in a wrestling match. But tonight, right here on SmackDown, Kurt Angle has challenged John Cena to a different competition. A competition, in my opinion, that John Cena is probably going to do pretty good in. And it's called a battle rap. So without any further ado, let's bring out the doctor of thugonomics, John Cena. So, what the great Taz, I believe John Cena would have the upper hand in this matchup here tonight, this battle rap. A little shocked earlier on when I learned that Kurt Angle had actually challenged John Cena to what apparently is John Cena's own game, a battle rap. Cena, Angle, me, 10 days. Yo, 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 yo. And no mercy. Yo, Kurt Angle wants to call me out on a battle rap. He's got as much street cred as Michael Cole. I hear you. Yo, hit that turd burglar Kurt Angle's music. Get him out here. I'm about to make him look foolish. I got you, street friend. And no mercy. 
Okay, guys, guys, let's uh, let's line up. It's John. Come over here. Come here. Let me explain what's going to go down here. Okay. Both you guys are going to get an opportunity to lay down your rap. Everybody here in Hartford, right here tonight, is going to is going to decide which one of you guys sucked or which one of you guys should win. So, Kurt, being that you challenged Cena. I think John Cena, you should lay down your deal first, so go for you it. You want me to go first? You, yeah, you go first. All right. You want to battle? I refuse to get ripped. You little bitch. You couldn't wrap a Christmas gift. You're not all American, Kurt. You wore out the gimmick. You couldn't win a bronze medal in the Special Olympics. I'm the dirty America. Look in my eyes, I'm right here. You the American dream? I'm America's nightmare. I'm just a punk. Pissing off more people than prank calls. Hope you got your three eyes, Kurt, because you got no b And when God was handing out brains, it's obvious you didn't get none. I'm usually throwing up two fingers. But you're special. You only get one. So hit this cat's music so the fans can say you suck too. His finger doesn't mean you're number one, Kurt. It means I'm saying. Except for that last line, that was pretty good. I mean, Cena, I can't compete with that. You're a tremendous rapper. But I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. Instead of rapping tonight, I'm gonna tell you a little story. And it goes something like this. There once was a kid who liked to talk a lot of smack. He's actually whiter than me, but he thinks he's black. And the kid thinks that he's the king of talking trash. Until one day he bumped heads with the king of kicking ass. He had a secret weapon. He liked to use a steel chain. I'll shove it straight up your ass if you try to use it again. He can't run. He can't hide. It doesn't even matter if he's rapping. Because of no mercy when I get my hands on him, his ass will be tapping. And let me tell you the real reason why I'm out here tonight. I didn't come out here to rap. I came here to fight.
Sure, it's not as good as the one that he would do later on, I think a year later. My name is Kurt Angle, and what the heck? I won a gold medal with a broken freaking neck. Blah, 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 blah. And you remember they had the referee doing... I can't do it right now. I used to do the beatbox, believe it or not. And um, if I actually practiced first, I probably could do it pretty good. But that happened this week of 2003. Wrapping up 2003 as well, Brock Lesnar making his New Japan Pro Wrestling in-ring debut. He would defeat Masahiro Chono and Fujita in a three-way match for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Little reference. This was the first time ever in New Japan's history that they had a three-way match, three-way dance. So when you look over the years at some of the other matches that went down, first time ever after all of those years being in existence, first ever three-way. Now, there is some controversy with Lesnar's title reign. He would hold it until July of 2004. He had some visa issues. And then Inoki had set up a different federation. It's just Brock was declared the first champion, and then he would lose to Kurt Angle. It's When we get to it, we'll cover it. So anyway, 2005. Remember last week? We played the little clip, Steve Austin, stunning Linda McMahon. You know, I didn't play the whole clip because it went on for like 40 minutes on Raw, but it was WWF's return to the USA Network, and they had a skit where Steve Austin stunned Vince McMahon, then Shane McMahon, then Stephanie McMahon, then Linda McMahon. So this week on Raw, somebody's got to pay for what Austin did to the McMahons. So all throughout the night, Stephanie is pissed off. She slaps a referee. She slaps Lillian Garcia. She slaps the timekeeper. She's slapping everybody. Vince McMahon, on his way to the arena, he promises that that night he was going to fire somebody on Raw. 
Well, we ended up having a segment in the ring with Vince McMahon, Stephanie McMahon. First, it was Vince confronting all three announcers. Was it Jerry Lawler, the coach, and Jim Ross? Well, I think they first talked to the coach. He left. Talked to King. He left. Then they talked to Jim Ross. Then they're about to fire Jim Ross. Vince berates Jim Ross. Stephanie slaps him in the face. You know, how many times have we covered Jim Ross being fired from WWE? Here's another one. And then Linda McMahon comes out. And not only does she announce to Jim Ross that he's fired, but Linda McMahon actually kicks Jim Ross in the balls. I was going to share the audio with you, but honestly, it was kind of drizzling shit category. Linda McMahon's never been good on her mic. And how many times have we covered, again, Jim Ross being fired? But I will share with everybody another audio highlight from that same Raw that took place this week in 05. The debut of Mickey James in the WWE. Do you remember how she debuted? Do you remember what she was wearing when she debuted? Anybody that follows me on Twitter, I did post the clip, and yeah, it was Jigel category, Jigel rag category at that time. Can't watch the clip unless it's in high definition, but in case you forgot or maybe never saw it, here's how Mickey James made her debut in WWE. And here we go, bell sounding. Trish wastes no time in getting it on here. Mickey hits the number three, a loop this takedown. And look at Trish with those right hands, running their mark on the challenger no, for the women's title. No disrespect to Luthez, but he never looked that good in his take, doing a takedown. Look at this! The Matrix move! No, no, head scissors. no Trish calls it the mate. Trish! Oh, the mate. Trish. Trish, yes. Okay. Whoa. Trish looking for that oh, kick, kick, kick. Got it on the other side. The nose. Well, you know, it, it, it's very obvious that these two know each other very, very well, so we're going to have to pull something out of the hat to defeat the other one here tonight. Talking about Victoria's strength. She's the biggest, strongest diva here on Raw. Certainly can impose her physical will when given the opportunity. It has been begging, begging for a one-on-one shot against Trish. And tonight, Victoria gets her wish. Snap suplex has been even imposing wills. The chairman of the WWE, Richard McMahon, and Ralph here now. Someone on Raw tonight will be fired. Trish's women's title certainly in jeopardy here with Victoria in the in the driver's seat with a hard right hand. Oh, this is not good. Oh, oh no. Look at the strength of Victoria. A lot of power for the challenger. Oh. And the Gorilla Slam taking Trish down. Victoria needs to capitalize here. But if Victoria was smart, she would start going after that, that back. Because as you know, Trish was out with that back injury for several months. Oh, she is going after it right here. Oh, there you go. Just torquing the back higher and oh higher. Goodness, look at this. That can't be good at all on that injured back. I didn't realize Trish was that flexible. Almost a modified. I think she's standing on Trish's hair. I used to do that move in, in, in yoga. In Boston Crab. Yoga. You did yoga? A little bit. Not very much. And the cover by the challenger and a near ball. Trish got her shoulder up. Trish, who has been the women's champion since January. I just noticed that Victoria's wearing a, she's actually wearing a Trish Stratus t-shirt. She's got that red line to it. Like, no 
most satisfaction. Yeah, but Victoria made a mistake going to the referee instead of staying on Trish. Spine busted by Trish, brought her a little time there, but Victoria is still the aggressor with the women's title on the line here tonight. Did Victoria get that, uh, oh, those trunks from Rob Conway? They're see-through. They've been the same person made them. Trish counters right hand. And another right. Women's title on the line. Again, Trish. Building the momentum here. Those big forearms or elbows, I don't know what, but they're they're finding their mark. Here she comes. Oh. Reverse elbow by Victoria. So I really caught Trish right in the face. Yeah, look at this. And Trish now. A little stratisfaction. Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. You get reversed. Oh, oh goodness. Look at that Boston crab. Trish in big trouble with a title on the line. I can't believe that move. How is Trish? So much anguish. We're, gonna, we're, we're getting ready to have a brand new women's champion. Uh oh, wait, wait a minute. Look at this. Look at this. The counter kills you all. No, I don't think she got it. Victoria too strong. Trish up quickly. Chick kick blocked. One for the chick kick. Right hand by the challenger. Doesn't it seem like to you guys that Victoria is one step ahead of Trish in this entire match? Can't argue that right now. Women's title on the line. These women, as I mentioned, know each other so well. And Victoria, right in the lower back of Trish. Victoria tried to exploit Trish's back condition. Hey, 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 hey. We got company. There's Ashley. Look at Ashley. The 2005 Diva Search winner, Ashley. She got a chokehold on the Whoa. See, Ashley, she tends to get in a little bit over her head sometimes. Zillion times. I don't. I know you don't have time to write me back. It's okay. You're very busy. I mean, you're yeah. the women's champion. I mean, right. you know. But I, it's super nice to meet you. I mean, I idolize you. I love you, Trish. Oh, I mean, thanks. like, I want to be just like oh, you. Right, That's thanks. awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 2006. This week in history, Kurt Angle makes his TNA debut. Now, unfortunately, he didn't really say anything when he came out on impact so really can't play any audio highlights from it 
but in case you don't recall, Samoa Joe refused to return the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, threatening to be fired over it. This proceeded to have Kurt Angle come down, have a confrontation, a stare down with Samoa Joe. He headbutted Samoa Joe. Kurt Angle then grabbed the belt, started celebrating, and this would lead to the feud between Samoa Joe and Kurt Angle. Look, it was great. But again, there really wasn't any verbiage exchanged back and forth. And the commentators really didn't do a good job doing play-by-play on this. They wanted to keep the focus on just in the ring. Keep your attention strictly in the ring. It was a cool segment, without a doubt. But as far as sharing it audio-wise, it wasn't all that good. Also in 2006, unfortunately, Psychosis was arrested for allegedly stealing a car from a 23-year-old person in Baja, California. And, you know, it just, it was not good. I mean, this would lead to psychosis being released from the WWE. Uh, I met psychosis in XPW a few times. I picked him up from the airport twice and drove him to fucking Philly for XPW. Very, very soft-spoken, very, very nice. I don't know if he's ever been interviewed why he did this. And it wasn't that there was a mistake. He had a toy gun on him and actually pulled it on this person to steal the car. I don't know why he did what he did. But this was the beginning of the end of psychosis as far as having an American career in the USA. Wrapping up 2006, the Marine debuted in movie theaters. You know, did an okay debut. It wasn't all that great. But it's just amazing to look back and realize that it's been this many years since that movie, The Marine Star and John Cena came out. And I should also add a little tidbit for anybody that's interested. This same week, WWE actually released Gunner Scott and Francine. Francine really wasn't used much at all. They were bringing her back for the ECW relaunch, but it just didn't work out. I wish it would have because Francine has always been a really, really cool, cool lady. I've met her several times and... You know, I don't I don't need to bring up stories here right now. Really, really cool woman, without a doubt. And uh, that's someone that we rooted for to see her get a little bit of success in WWE. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out. 2007, we played very recently when Vince McMahon brought out the chosen one. Drew McIntyre introduced us to uh, Drew. First promo wasn't, you know, all that great, but hey, you know, he was new, so you give him a break. I, th- I think people no longer complain about Drew McIntyre's mic skills, but it was this week in 2007, he made his in-ring WWE debut, and he defeated Brett Major of the Major Brothers. Do you remember the Major Brothers? In case you don't, Brett Major, you now know as Zack Ryder. And Brian Major, who was his tag team partner at the time, is now known to everyone as the Kurt Hawkins. So, yeah, the Major brothers were Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. And remember, they were repackaged and they went with Edge for a while. They were the Edgeheads. So, you know, it was pretty cool. And, you know, I should also throw a little trivia question out there. When Drew McIntyre made his debut. He came out with his quote-unquote mentor. Do you remember who his mentor was in WWE? Do you remember? I'll get back to that answer in a moment. Same week, 2007, WWE released Teddy Hart from his developmental deal. 
guy that, you know, you know, over the years, I've had some really choice words to say about him to the point where he actually name dropped me in a Sports Illustrated interview because I guess he just really didn't like my criticism. But the cool thing is, is that, you know, I stuck by my guns. I saw a couple of things with my own eyes. I witnessed some things that happened when he was working for Frank Goodman in USA Pro Wrestling. I dealt with him, you know, in some cases, not directly, but as part of, you know, working with Frank at the time. And I criticized him more than you can imagine. But over the last couple of years, I have done nothing but praise this guy. This guy, in my opinion, now look, who the fuck am I? I'm a nobody, right? These are opinion shows that I do uh, for DTKC, Breakfast of Blossie and others. They're opinion shows. You don't have to listen to my opinion. But in my opinion, I felt like he really turned it around. You know, I, I hate using the term he grew up because who the fuck am I to say something like that? But I have really given him nothing but positive, you know, feedback and comments over the last couple of years. I'm really happy for the guy. And I mean that totally sincerely, not because he would kick my ass. He probably could kick my ass and stretch me out. But I really rooted for the guy. I always thought this guy would be something big in the WWE. I still think he could get into the WWE. I still think him along with DH Smith could tear it up in NXT. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. But it was this week in 07 that he was released from his developmental deal. Now, getting back to the trivia question earlier, the impromptu trivia, Drew McIntyre's mentor at the time, Squire Dave Taylor. Wrapping up 2017, they had their Bound for Glory pay-per-view from Atlanta, Georgia. Matches from that night, Homicide and Hernandez over Elix Skipper and Senshi in an Ultimate X tag match. Eric Young won a reverse battle royal it's not broken. Don't fix it. I'm not even going to explain the fucking rules with a reverse battle royal. I think you could probably figure out most of it by the name itself. AJ Styles and Tomko over Ron Killings and Rashid Creed, who you now know is Xavier Woods. So AJ and Tomko were the new tag champs. Jay Lethal, who is the X Division champion, defeated Christopher Daniels. Rick and Scott Steiner over Brother Ray and Brother Devon. In a two out of falls tables match. Samoa Joe over Christian. Abyss over Raven, Rhino, and Black Rain in a Monsters Ball match. Gail Kim became the first TNA Knockouts champion by winning a gauntlet match. Main event, Sting over Kurt Angle to win the TNA world title. 2008, Nick Nemeth, who you know now as Dolph Ziggler, suspended 30 days First violation, the WWE wellness policy. Same week, unfortunately, WWE released Lance Cade. If you don't know what happened to Lance Cade since, just look it up. Very, very sad the way he ended up. Just really sad. 2008 wasn't a good week for wrestling, with the exception, I think, of The Wrestler making uh, premieres at the New York Film Festival. Rave reviews. It, it absolutely was great. Um, you know, I'm not a big Mickey Rourke fan, but I thought the movie was excellent and it debuted this week. But you look back at 08 this week in history, Dolph Ziggler suspended for the wellness policy. Lance K gets released. Adam Pacman Jones is suspended by the NFL. In case you forgot, he got into an incident with a security team member at a hotel. There was alcohol involved and he ended up being suspended by the NFL. 
This was the guy that TNA brought in. I still don't know why to this day. I just never liked Adam Pacman Jones. Absolutely despised him. 2009, you know, earlier we talked about the debut of Mickey James in WWE. Well, it was this week in 09 that Jillian Hall defeated Mickey James in less than 90 seconds to win the Divas Championship. But you got to remember that at this time, they're doing guest Raw GMs. And that title win for Jillian Hall, I know a lot of you out there will look back and say, wait a minute, Jillian Hall was a Divas champion? Yeah, for maybe two, three minutes. So in case you forgot how everything went down, here are the highlights from 2009. First of all, the fact that Jillian Hall beat Mickey James in less than 90 seconds was just ridiculous. But I'm sorry, I didn't like the GM guest host for the most part. You had a rare one here with Bob Barker and others that were entertaining, but for the most part, I couldn't stand 90% of them. This week, they had Nancy O'Dell. And this is how everything went down. This contest set for one fall is for the Divas Championship. Introducing first from Richmond, Virginia, she is the current Divas Champion, Mickey James. Hey, what a week for Mickey James. In the Diva Bowl last week, thanks to our guest host last week, Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger, Mickey James, the Divas champion, pinned the women's champion for Friday Night SmackDown, Michelle McCool. Almost like bragging rights started yes. a little early last week. I loved it. I love Mickey James. You know you And the challenger from Los Angeles, California, Jillian. Here's someone who loves to brag about her singing abilities. Well, what an opportunity for Jillian. Jillian taking on Mickey for the Divas Championship tonight. An opportunity for Jillian to win her first ever major singles title here at the WWE. That's a celebration. Jillian had to win. No singing. Maybe we can teach her to hum. She's better at singing a lot better. She actually sings her entrance music you're listening to. No kidding. It's all about that. The Divas Championship held by Mickey James, one of only two women in the history of WWE to hold the women's title and the Divas title. Mickey, a four-time women's champion. What a night so far on Monday Night Raw. Big Show qualifying moments ago to join D-Generation X as part of the Team Raw team, Team Raw bragging rights. And now the Divas title is on the line. Look at this! Oh, wow! Oh, nice save there by Mickey James! And Mickey. Oh! Gutsy champion. I just fist. Can't take Jillian for granted, though, Kings. Well, but Mickey risked disqualification throwing those, those close fists in there. Here's the cover. First cover of the matchup over the leg, and Jillian rolls the shoulder out. Jillian has to pin the champion or get her to submit to win the Divas title. Oh. I thought Mickey was trying to end this thing early with that big DDT. Jillian, great reversal, counter by Mickey. Good job. Jackknife cover, shoulders down. Jillian in trouble and a kick at it too. Man. Mickey James, what a Divas champion she's been. Oh, because of moves like that. You're not kidding. She really caught Jillian off guard there with boot right to the midsection. Oh, wow. And look at Jillian into the cover. Mickey hit hard. Shoulders down. Jillian using the ropes. Wait a minute. 
Divas champion. Listen to those shrieks of joy. Look at the look on her face. And Mickey, Mickey could be unconscious. If she starts singing, we'll wish we were unconscious. Everybody, grab your cameras. Photographers, gather around and take a picture of me. This is a photo op we thought we'd never see. Thank you. The only thing that would make this moment better Uh is if I could sing my new favorite song by Lady Gaga. Thank goodness. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome tonight's guest host, Access Hollywood co-anchor and founder of Betty's Battle, Jillian Nancy Ute. Jillian, please. Jillian, please, you have to stop. My, my ears are hurting so badly right now. I'm so sorry to cut the celebration short. But you see... I made a phone call to the other GMs over the weekend, and I made a major Divas trade. Now, the good news for you, you are still on Raw. The bad news is that you have to defend your Divas title against Raw's newest acquisition right now. Newest acquisition? Who is it? She's someone who knows a thing or two about the paparazzi. Oh, man. Oh, my. Melina. She's back. Melina's a three-time women's champion. And now has an opportunity to become Divas champion. And more importantly, my all-time favorite, Diva entrance. Oh, I've missed Melina. <laughs> Here we go. Welcome back to Monday night. Jillian is stunned. A diva trade. So our guest host tonight, Nancy O'Dell, has engineered a diva trade. The only thing we know about it is that Melina is now a part of Monday Night Raw. And that Jillian stay in play. So, King, this is for the Divas Championship. I believe perhaps for the... this Jillian having to compete one double duty twice in a row here. It's got to be the first time ever we've had two Divas Championship matches in succession. Okay, It'll be yours if you can beat Melina. What a wacky night this has been. And Melina, look at this! Oh, Jillian rolls out of the way. Melina into the split. Cover! And a kick out by Jillian at two. Oh, this was almost the shortest match in Diva history. Oh, Melina would love to capture that. Oh, this match. And you, 
they take him off on set the record books because I believe Jillian has the shortest Divas title reign ever. Maybe one of the shortest title reigns in WWE history. Oh man, Melina put the kibosh on that title reign. So let's get this all straight now. Our guest host, Nancy Waddell, is engineered the Diva trade. Melina's come from SmackDown to Monday Night Raw. Oh, and because of that, has become the new Divas champion. Jillian won the Divas Championship for Nikki James. Melina comes over in the trade and wins the Divas title from Jillian. And Jillian still doesn't know exactly what hit her. Uh, Melina's motto has always been, you never know what's possible until you try. Well, she proved that here tonight on Monday Night Raw. Now look, in the end, Melina being a champion, all right, I'm cool with that, but... I don't know. I just, I don't like the GMs. Nancy O'Dell, for no reason at all, you know, forcing Jillian Hall to wrestle. Why? Again, why? Why? I don't get it. Oh, thank you for putting me in an aggravating mood because this week of 2010, 10, 10, 10. Do I need to say any more? If you are a fan of the Don, Tony, and Kevin Castle show, please go back to this week in 2010, listen to our episode talking about TNA's Bound for Glory. This was the night where Jeff Hardy defeated Kurt Angle, Mr. Anderson, three-way dance to win the vacated TNA title. This storyline led to Kurt Angle having to retire, which obviously didn't stick. This led to, remember they, who is they, and then they're here, and you have Abyss, Jeff Jarrett, and Jeff Hardy holding a sign in the middle of the ring that is grossly misspelled. Remember I put the speaking spell on my synopsis? I can't believe it's that many years gone by. Drizzling, drizzling shits. You want to reminisce. I could have played the DTKC show clip here. But honestly, I'd rather keep these clips to the professionals. If you want to listen to it, go look it up. The episodes are online for our shows for free. And reminisce with us back in 2010, how it went down. It didn't get any better because this same week, 2010, for some fucking reason, TNA has this this fascination with Jersey Shore. By this time... I never gave a fuck about Jersey Shore. I hated Jersey Shore. I mean, I'm any regular listener knows my disdain for Jersey Shore in its entirety, which is kind of sad because a lot of my friends, they were Jersey Shore 15 years before Jersey Shore was Jersey Shore. And I got photos and stuff to, to back it up. There's no dispute there. But they focused on bringing in JWoww. JWoww. I mean, who the fuck cares about JWoww? So, you know, Cookie... You know, who was Becky Bayless at the time? She put on a pretty decent performance. So did Robbie E. They were playing in Jersey Shore ripoffs. But you have JWoww come out there. And I think her only promo was, Did you say something? Did you say something? And it was just horrible. She was terrible. This led to like one other two or two other Matarazzas coming in from Jersey Shore. But in case you want to reminisce for two minutes, here is how they covered it on TNA Reaction. Remember that show? TNA Reaction. The real side of pro wrestling. 
Earlier tonight, Jersey Shore bombshell Wow was on the hunt for Cookie. When these two eventually came face-to-face in the middle of the TNA wrestling ring, all hell broke loose. Those Jersey Shore posers, they're done for. No more of that disgraced nookie. No more situation. And no more of that skank J-Cow. Cookie are um, imitating us, so uh, it's quite funny. But um, you know, it is what it is, and we'll have to go in the ring. Did you say something? Oh, look who decided to show up! It's that Jersey Shore poser, Jay Cow. the last we'll see of Wow and TNA Wrestling. You know, I never thought I could be able to do it. It's uh, it's pretty intense, but after getting in the ring and, you know, going in there, the adrenaline rush, I could definitely see myself, you know, doing something like this in the future. Yeah, the TNA bug got to me. Uh, I have a little TNA fever, so I might uh, have to take the opportunity if I'm given one. You know, it's sad. Not even 10 minutes ago, we talked about how this week in 2008, the WWE had released Lance Cade. And sadly, by 2010, he was already dead. And it was this week in 2010 that we learned the cause of death for Lance Cade. He died from a mix of uh, drugs, and they called it an accidental overdose. Now, I know some of you out there, when you hear accidental overdose, you're like, how can an overdose be accidental? Yeah, well, you take a couple of pills and you don't realize that it's going to stop your heart. You're not intentionally overdosing. You don't realize you're overdosing. I have talked about on the other shows how one Oxycontin could kill you. All right. I don't want to get into the whole explanation here. If anybody out there really wants me to explain it, by all means, you know, drop me an email or contact me on Twitter and I'll explain it. It's scary, scary shit, and it's really a shame that he uh, died less than two years after he was released from the WWE. And wrapping up 2010, Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, signs a deal to become one of the writers for the WWE. That didn't last all that long, but, you know, he was a huge wrestling fan, and he really did try hard. I mean, honestly, I don't think anybody out there will criticize Freddie Prince Jr., his attempt at being a WWE creative member. So he was a producer and a director, if you want to be exact as far as his role. 2011, here's a little audio clip I'll share. They both end up shitty, kind of. Let's talk about Monday Night Raw first. In case you forgot this storyline, back in 2011, Triple H is now the uh, the general manager, I think, of Raw. He was, I think, the COO also. I don't know if he was COO yet, but he was the GM for Raw. He's now working in the office. And this is around the time where CM Punk earlier in the year had walked out, and there was a lot of situations going on. 
on Monday Night Raw, and they had a uh, walkout. Announcers, referees, commentators, wrestlers, they walked out in protest. They're all in the parking lot. They're against Triple H. But not every wrestler walked out. In the ring, you have Sheamus, John Cena, and Triple H. And they're basically in front of the live crowd in storyline. They're saying, what are we going to do for everybody? A lot of people walked out. So Sheamus and John Cena agree that they're going to wrestle each other. Triple H agrees to referee the match. They have no commentators. So CM Punk's music hits. And CM Punk comes out and he cuts a great promo. And then this leads to Triple H telling CM Punk, why don't you do play-by-play? They don't have any commentators. So now we get a rare appearance of CM Punk doing play-by-play for the WWE. Unfortunately, Vince McMahon would fuck it up. But for the moments that it did last, enjoy it. 2011, Monday Night Raw. A couple of opening clips. I can't help but feel a little bit respond. Well, hell, who am I kidding? I feel like I started this whole thing. This is all my fault. I've been at the epicenter of anything controversial ever since you took over. Actually, since before that, I'm sure you remember, John Boy. I was there. You were there. I'm the guy that made walking out look cool. The the thing about it is I think everybody in the parking lot having a picnic right now completely misunderstood what I was trying to do. See, I didn't break my contract. I didn't break my word. My contract expired, and I was trying to prove a point to an entire company, not just one man. If anybody has any reason to walk out of the WWE, well, you can probably put me at the top of that list. I mean, my microphone constantly cuts out. Your friend, Kevin Nash, runs through the, well, slowly, briskly, runs through the crowd and jumps me and screws me, not once, but twice. Somebody here doesn't want me to be the WWE champion. The thing about it is this entire industry is based on men solving their problems in between these ropes. This is the company that gives you hell in the cell. This is the company that gives you the elimination chamber. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but unsafe working environment? I thrive on that. Hell, this is professional wrestling. This ain't ballet. If you believe in something, you stand and you fight, and you fight on the front line. You don't have a hippie sit-in and grill tofu dogs in the parking lot like a bunch of hippies. When I had a problem with you and your authority, I dealt with you personally. And you, you big boy scout, when I had a problem with you being the poster boy for this company, I dealt with you personally. Shamo, I'm sure sooner or later you're going to step on my toes. I'll deal with you personally. Now I know you three smiley good guys look across the ring from me and I'm the last guy you expect to see here and and I know I'm the last guy you expect to see in the foxhole with you but you know what, here I am. So, so, I got a question. 
What do we do now? What do we do now? That's a big question, huh? What do we do now? I say we do what we do on Monday Night Raw. We shut up and fight. How about this? As long as you guys are in agreement, Seamus, you got yourself a match, fella. Tonight, right here, right now, you will go one-on-one with one John Cena. And since I'm the only guy kind of wearing stripes out here, I'll referee. And, foxhole buddy, I got a whole table over there lined up with headphones and pipe bombs just waiting for you with your name on it. And if you want... You can go over there and say anything you feel like. Wait, you want me to do commentary? I want you to do commentary. Can I wear your blazer? You can even wear my blazer. I'm in. (laughs) Uh, One last thing. When you get down there... I'm going to need you to do double duty. Not only are you going to do commentary, if you wouldn't mind, please ring the bell. Double pay. say how nice of the fans here don't screw it up here we are ladies and gentlemen live oklahoma city we're on monday night raw don't adjust your tv sets i am the sole commentator i'm like bob euchre that is right ladies and gentlemen sheamus versus john cena here on raw with triple h as your special guest referee i'm cm punk i'm your commentator i'm your I guess I'm your ring announcer and your bellkeeper too, timekeeper. I'm everything. I wear a lot of I wear a lot of hats here. And ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back as the action continues live on Monday Night Raw. Who's gonna win? And we're live back on Monday Night Raw, ladies and gentlemen. Don't adjust your TV sets. Sheamus with a great reversal of John Cena's AA. He hooks the far leg. Triple H, your referee. Right there for the two count. Just says it's two. I suppose I have to go ring the bell if somebody wins. You have entered Bizarro World. I am CM Punk. I am your commentator as Sheamus goes for another cover. Trying to win. It's the name of the game here. Wait a second. Immediately, everybody's looking at me for answers, and I, I have none for you, ladies and gentlemen. I was out here trying to be a good commentator like Art Donovan or Rob Naylor, perhaps Michael Cole. 
apologize, guys. I, I really, I apologize for breaking up your match. I apologize. I got here as quickly as I could. Notwithstanding the integrity of the performers, Punk as well, I'd, I'd like to have a word with my, with my son-in-law, if you don't mind, Triple H. Now, Vince McMahon would come out, fuck things up. They were entertaining, but obviously you can't have an episode of Monday Night Raw the way it was. He tells Triple H that John Laurinaitis, Johnny Ace, would be the new GM of Raw. This led to the wrestlers, the announcers, the referees, going back in the building and had a regular edition of Raw. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, wrapping up 2011, you know, another attempt by a person. I think that's the polite way to put it of doing a wrestling pay-per-view and trying to capitalize over it. And the funny thing is, I didn't put two and two together at first. I did not realize that the guy that was running this thing, Marvin Ward, was the same guy that I had ripped apart on the DTKC show. And if you don't know or if you want to reminisce, if you're a newer listener, just go to DonTonyKevinCastle.com and in the search box, type in Marvin Ward. And just listen to the episodes that come up. This is the same Matarats that went on multiple radio stations with Deborah around the United States where they were saying that millions of fans were pro were demanding that she be brought into TNA. And they were trying to convince Jeff Jarrett that the fans in droves want to see Deborah. And it was just all imagination. It was all bullshit. And at the time, I'm sorry it was just an opinion, but it came off like Marvin Ward just wanted to get laid from Deborah. And who knows? Maybe he did. God bless him. But this guy was, and I know people are going to say, who the fuck are you to say something like this? But the guy was a money mark. I mean, he put himself in the storylines. He had the Rock and Roll Express, quote unquote, break his arm. And if you actually want to be entertained Go on Landstorm's website. In fact, you know what? I have a little clip of it here. He did not speak. He typed it. But the main event that night was supposed to be Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, the Rock and Roll Express, taking on Kevin Nash and Diamond Dallas Page. Now, in case you didn't know, for years, Kevin Nash and Ricky Morton have said some really horrible shit about each other. In fact, in case you want to be refreshed a little bit, here is a two-minute clip from a shoot interview that Ricky Morton did a very long time ago with our video on Kevin Nash basically having some choice words about him. Kevin Nash had this quote, and I'll read it to you. Yeah. I just want to know what you, your thoughts are on this quote. This is what Kevin Nash said. Then there's Ricky Morton, who was in the business for 20 years, on top for 10 of them, yet now doesn't have a dime to his name, and he decides he's going to tell what, about what happened in the wrestling business. The guy isn't the guy hasn't been in the business for the last 10 years. Anything he did was back in the 80s. So I guess that's what those guys did back then. I guess that's why they don't have any money. But the guys in the business today have mutual funds, retirement plans. We don't put every dime we make up our nose and down our throat. But then again, what do I know? I'm only a pro wrestler. Well, okay, well, see, good. What then? What do I know? Yo, got Kevin Nash. You know, basically this business here today, you got to understand, on this interview I did, I was talking about my ex-wife, that she took everything I had. Now, Kevin Nash, you know, this is like i got to say, brother, you know, what is he, six foot nine, thinks he knows everything about this business and don't know shit. Brother couldn't draw your flies in a shit factory. And I'm telling you the fucking truth. He's lucky to be in this business. Now, you got to understand, the biggest year in this whole fucking year that we ever had was $120,000. This motherfucker made $40,000 every two weeks. That's more than I made in goddamn whole year. But you know what? 
what the fuck has he done? What does he prove? I seen Kevin Match have Kevin Nash have one good fucking match. That was against Shawn Michaels right. when he called it. Now what does he know? He don't know nothing. See, Kevin is the kind of guy. He's lucky. I gotta say that. My hat's off to you because you got your fucking money. But brother, we worked hard for what we got. And it wasn't because of drugs. Yo, if I'm making forty thousand dollars every two weeks, yeah, I guess I could put stuff in escrow, can't I? But when I got when I'm making one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year, and that was my biggest year, and I hope they because back then we got paid how many asses we put on the seat, not whose ass we kissed. You know, that's what I'm trying to say to you. And I don't give a fuck if he likes it or not. What's he gonna do? Whoop my ass? So now, you think of Marvin Ward, he wants to do a pay-per-view, he wants the smart marks who know about the heat between Ricky Morton and Kevin Nash, holy shit, they're going to face off, what's going to happen, blah, 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 they're hyping up videos, doing crazy, crazy stuff, this guy dumped so much money into this event and took a bath. I mean, he really got royally fucked. I mean, if he didn't get laid from Deborah McMichael, he got his fucking ass fucked this night. And I'm sorry for being so explicit about it. It was just horrendous. It was a terrible, terrible event. On paper, it sounded like fun. Tommy Dream over Terry Funk, uh, Jamin of Avalencia over Sunjay Dutt, Perry Saturn over C.W. Anderson. This was Perry Saturn's first match after he no-sold bullets and disappeared. I'm sure you remember all my investigative journalism that time. Hacksaw Jim Duggan over Muhammad Akbar. Alex Silver over Fit Finley. Short Sleeve Samson over uh, Abo Shango. And then your main event. And look, if you want to see the match in a promo... Awesome Wrestling Entertainment has done everything possible to avoid this match from being online because they still want you to try to pay a couple of dollars to see it, even though it's this many years gone by and even though it's the drizzling shits. If you go on YouTube and you search Kevin Nash versus the Crackhead, I kid you not, that's the name of the clip. Kevin Nash versus the Crackhead. You could watch this in its entirety. You could hear the promos at the end, which were just were dumb and didn't make sense. But as I said earlier... Here's what Lance Storm wrote. Now, he reviewed the whole event, but I'm just going to read you two paragraphs that he said about this particular match, just to give you an idea of how bad this was. All right. All right. Ricky Morton defeated Kevin Nash via countout in a no disqualification match with Ronnie Garvin as the special guest referee. I Now, this is me talking. He won via countout in a no DQ match. And think of this, too, before I get into Landstorm's review of this match. Originally, it was the Rock and Roll Express versus DDP and Nash. Marvin Ward comes out, sends DDP and Robert Gibson to the back, and makes a no DQ. So if it's now a no DQ, why can't DDP and Robert Gibson get involved? Think about that. So anyway, here's what Landstorm had to say about this match. Kevin Nash and Diamond Dallas Page versus the Rock and Roll Express. This match was the main event, and holy crap, it was confusing. This match was built up as a feud between Ricky Morton and Kevin Nash based off of a shoot interview Ricky did 10 or 15 years ago where he buried Kevin Nash for his WCW politics. They tried to play it up like a shoot, which of course never works. It was announced that Kevin Nash and a mystery partner versus the Rock and Roll Express, although DDP was promoted as appearing on the show and leading into the main event, he hadn't appeared as of yet. So to the surprise of no one, DDP was revealed as Nash's partner. DDP came out in running shoes, jeans, and a t-shirt, while the other three wore wrestling gear. DDP and Robert Gibson started the match with a couple of tie-ups and eventually a headlock and then immediately tagged out. Now we have Ricky Morton and Kevin Nash in the ring. Promoter comes out, cuts a long promo, changing the match to a singles match, 
telling Robert Gibson and DDP to head to the back. Now we have a singles match, which makes a lot more sense, and I have no idea why they didn't book it this way in the first place. Perhaps the promoter really wanted to get his promo in. Side note, genius by Landstorm, because looking back on it, when you watch it, he's right. Anyway, just to wrap this up, Landstorm says, and I quote, From this point on, Nash basically just beats the hell out of Ricky Morton, including busting him open. Ricky eventually makes a comeback, and then Nash just backs off and asks for a microphone. We then get a weird promo where Nash just asks Ricky what his problem was. Why is he mad at him? This was really dumb considering the match was built up as a 10-year feud with both guys cutting promos on each other and being very clear why they were mad with each other. (laughs) Ricky goes on to explain that he's mad because he loves this business and dedicated his whole life to it. To this, Nash explains that if that's the case, then we don't have a problem. They shake hands. Nash then sucker punches Ricky Morton, power bombs him, making him look like a complete fool, then cuts a promo, burying the fans, and leaves without bothering to pin his opponent. Ricky eventually gets to his feet, they ring the bell, they announce Ricky Morton is the winner by countout. This was, without a doubt, the worst finish I've ever seen, and the crowd was completely dead by the end of it all. 2013, <laughs> Raw! St. Louis, Missouri, Cody Rhodes and Goldust defeat The Shield to win the WWE Tag Team Championship. Honestly, I wanted to play the highlights from this match because it was a really cool moment at the time. This was at the very end of Dusty Rhodes being on WWE television. Yes, he went to NXT, but at this time, it was just a cool little storyline moment with uh, the Rhodes all together. Um, But we just don't have the time. As I have said before, these shows have to stay under a certain amount of time. Otherwise, I can't fit it on Patreon can't fit it on other areas. And because we have other shows that we do as well, you know, everything's got to fit within a certain amount of space per month. You know, it's just, and I don't want anybody to say to me, oh, why don't you just pay more for it? It's, look, I'm not going to do five hour episodes. Three, three and a half hours, I think it's good for everybody. 2016, and I remember this being a big surprise to a lot of us. No Mercy pay-per-view, Dolph Ziggler defeating The Miz in a career versus title match to win the IC championship. Dolph Ziggler would have lost. He would have had to have left WWE. At that time, you know, he was appearing on Fox Business Channel and doing a lot of appearances outside of WWE. We were convinced that he was going to be taking some time off. So when Dolph Ziggler won the IC Championship, it was a pleasant surprise and it was really, really cool. Same week, 2016, we got the announcement that Sasha Banks would be challenging Charlotte in the upcoming Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Same week, here's two more clips to wrap up this week's episode. We still got to get 2017 in here, but first, let's talk about Goldberg. It was this week on ESPN that Goldberg did an interview with Jonathan Coachman saying that he thought he had one last run in him, and if he were to come back to the WWE, he would want to face Brock Lesnar. This led to Paul Heyman cunning said promo on Monday Night Raw, this week in 2016. So I ask you, if you were to return to the ring, who would you want to work with? You know, there's a there's a plethora of people that I haven't had the opportunity to kick their ass yet. So the list would be very long, but I, I would be remiss in saying that uh, I don't owe Brock Lesnar a rematch. Um, I was able to prosper and uh, had my hand raised at the first meeting and I I think if I ever came back I mean that'd be the match Um, I'd have to work my ass off to get ready for him 
But, uh, you know, you never say never. I've said it for 12 years. And, you know, Brock's a different human being. As a matter of fact, he's probably not even a human being. He's like a, he's like a superhero alien guy. <laughs> Big, strong, fast, and mean. But uh, I don't know, man. I beat him once. Who's to, say, who's to say you couldn't do it again? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Paul Heyman! Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Paul Heyman, and I am the advocate for the beast that adorns the cover of WWE 2K17, Brock Lesnar. To wit, I offer you this most newsworthy preview. So there it is, just as you remember him. For 12 years, everyone in the WWE Universe keeps on asking the same question. What if, what if we could experience that dominance just for, even if it's just for one more night? What, what if there's just one more spear? What if there is just one more jackhammer what if even if it's just for one more night we could all experience Goldberg think about it every time a new badass debuted every time a stud athlete stepped into the ring every time someone got on a roll you'd hear that name reverberating around the arena goldberg goldberg You know, you, you think about all the titles Goldberg has won. You think about all the legends that Goldberg beat. How every single person that stepped into the ring with Goldberg was beaten, was victimized, was conquered. And you say to yourself, my God, Goldberg's career was running parallel to my client, Brock Lesnar. And, and here's something that keeps me up at night. Here's the one thing that unhinges my beast. Goldberg is still one up on Brock 
Lesnar. Which is why I have been authorized tonight to come out here and let the entire WWE Universe know Goldberg, you, sir, are hereby challenged to a fight. One on one, Beast versus the Myth, Icon versus Icon, anywhere, any place, any time, Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg. Now it's not just the wannabe gangsters and the pseudo Samoans here in Oakland. This goes around worldwide. So Bill Goldberg, you can listen to the WWE audience and you can live in the fantasy of WWE 2K17 where you will remain, sir, the one blemish on Brock Lesnar's WWE career or Goldberg, you can step into this ring and be beaten, victimized, and conquered by Brock Lesnar because in Suplex City, you're not Goldberg. You're next. So the ball is now in Goldberg's court. Will he accept the challenge from the beast Brock Lesnar? Also this week, 2016 on SmackDown, we have AJ Styles. Now at that time, he wasn't over like he is now. But someone who really wasn't as over as WWE thought he was, was Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose was having issues with AJ Styles. Remember AJ Styles? We talked about it not too long ago. Remember the David Otunga commentary that was very, very bland when AJ Styles won with the low blow and shit like that. So you got James Ellsworth now in the picture. You know, do the squash match with Braun Strowman, getting a little sympathy, getting a job with WWE. So AJ Styles wants to have a match on SmackDown. He gets to choose who he wants to face. He decides he's going to choose James Ellsworth. And we then learn that the special guest referee in this match was Dean Ambrose. So in case you forgot, 2016, since it didn't last all that long as far as the match, do you remember what went down this week when AJ Styles took on James Ellsworth? Do not adjust your set. It is WWE World Champion AJ Styles against the man who's bad to the Ken Bone, James Ellsworth, getting the opportunity of a lifetime with Dean Ambrose. You can say that again. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever you seen. You are exactly right. Making Dean Ambrose a referee is the most ridiculous thing No, absolutely seen. not. That's the only thing about this that makes sense. He's as bad as an octogenarian Scar Armstrong. AJ could choose any opponent, and he chooses this string bean. Where do you go to wrestling school? Kinko's? The library? 
I'm afraid he's. I'm afraid Mr. Ellsworth. Lewis. Joe Lewis had bum of the month club. Look, okay, so this guy doesn't have a name for himself, Ellsworth. All right, maybe he's a Cinderella story. Maybe the fact that this is his dream come true. But maybe, this, maybe AJ Styles is a great humanitarian, giving this young man a chance to step in the ring with the WWE World Champion. But John, that's just it. AJ is the WWE World Champion. Not just anybody can get in the ring with him. Yeah, and that's why I have a problem with Dean Ambrose being the referee. You're exactly right, David. Wait a minute. That was, yeah. There is no close fist in That's totally legal. Oh, hey, no, it's WWE, they're totally legal. Get with the program, David. Yes, they are. You should know better. Are you sure? See, that was a close fist. And there's a right hand. Would make the late great Aaron Pryor proud as James Ellsworth looking to get back into this matchup. James Ellsworth better run for his life. I think he actually is running for his life. Better keep going. Whoa. Remember, AJ Ambrose Styles. Tripped him. He didn't trip him. Remember, AJ Styles can't touch the referee. Dean Ambrose, quick roll up by Ellsworth. He didn't trip him. Ambrose was wow. Ambrose was in the wrong spot. It's tough to be a referee. I have a this is first time. I have a feeling James Ellsworth is going to be a crying Jordan meme after AJ Styles is done with him tonight. Can you imagine what is going through the mind of James Ellsworth here on SmackDown Live against the WWE World Champion AJ Styles? Look, this was delivered to me. Look at this. Look at this. Dino's even the. What are you looking What are you looking What is wrong with you? You're a freaking Harvard lawyer. You didn't see that. AJ needs to watch where he's going. He's such a great athlete. You should have got out of the way. You are a lawyer. This should be a great celebration for AJ Styles. He beat Dean Ambrose. He beat John Cena. Oh, thank you. Lee. It's over. To it's over. James Ellsworth. There you go. With the calf crusher. And he's there about to crush James Ellsworth. Of course he is. Of course he is. Is, is Dean Ambrose taking a phone call? Hey, it's probably important. He, he can't hear that behind him because he's, a, he's on the phone. How's he going to hear it? gets on the phone. This is his first time doing this, John. What are you doing? Are you okay? Can you continue? He's good. Get out of my ring. Go on, Alan. You got it, buddy. The child. He's done it, John. He's a broken. AJ Styles giving James Ellsworth an early Christmas present here on SmackDown Live, but... An early Christmas present? He just about broke his leg. Well, he's giving him the opportunity. Oh. Ellsworth, where you are in Moose Knuckle, Canada. Oh, Ellsworth is kidding you. I got kids, well, That explains a lot. He's not. Scooping a slam on the outside and... Oh, you can't get like that. Dean Ambrose officiating this He's matchup. He's the worst referee I've ever seen. It's his first He's time, not even John. Where's Danny Davis? 
Well, the only nightmare out here is you, Morrow, and Dean Ambrose. WWE officials trained for years. This is Ambrose's first night as an official. Come on. He's talking about the heart phone. Ambrose rolls Ellsworth back into the ring. A Canadian. Now Ambrose uh, <laughs> signing autographs, hey, taking selfies. On. I don't think AJ wants to be his wingman. AJ Styles looking to put the finishing touches on James Ellsworth with the Styles Clash. Oh, man. Stone old, stone old. up this episode 2017 Callisto defeated Enzo Amore in a lumberjack match to win the cruiserweight championship now if you remember at that time on the DTKC show I got a lot of heat because I said this Matarats Callisto who I wasn't a big fan of at the time there was no way he was keeping that belt that they were doing it because it was the anniversary of Eddie Guerrero's birthday and he was dedicating it to Eddie, which, you know, is a telltale sign something is going down. He would only hold the belt for less than two weeks because Enzo would get the title back at the TLC pay-per-view. And also this week on Monday Night Raw in 2017, we had The Shield, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, and Dean Ambrose attacking Braun Strowman and doing a triple powerbomb through the announcer table for Strowman. 
that sound like something that is happening in more recent days? And you realize that it also happened back in 2017. I just want to make mention of it in case anybody forgot. Notable birthdays this week. Those celebrating birthdays who are no longer with us, as I said, Eddie Guerrero, Dusty Rhodes, Nikolai Volkov, Carl von Stroheim, Emilio Charles Jr., Al Green, the great Togo, George McLeod, Killer Kowalski, the great Antonio, Giant Haystacks, Colt Steele, and Kentaro Hoshino. Happy birthday to all of you. God rest your souls. Gene LaBelle turns 86. Blackjack Lonza, 83. Betty Nicoli, 75. Don Goya, 74. Dan Spivey, 66. Jeff Gaylord, 60. Tony Chimmel, 57. Tadeo Yasuda, 55. Rockin' Robin, Don Callis, and Sam Houston turned 54. Rikishi turns 53, Taz 51, June Akayama 49, Duke the Dumpster Drossi 48, Stevie Richards and Joey Abs 47, Karen Jarrett 46, Shaggy Two Dope and Hollywood Stalker Ichikawa 44, Takeshi Morishima 40, Stacy Keebler, Mary Apache, Andy Douglas, Bruce Santi and Yuki Yurito 39, Supreme Lee Great turns 38, Daniel Puther 37, Lucy Mendez 36, Jose Maximo and the Joker turn 35. Jesse Youngblood, 32. Ricochet, 30. Shaw Guerrero, 28. And happy birthday to Ray Ripley. She turns 22. Notable debuts this week in history. Matt Hardy and Jeff Hardy debuted. Not the same year. I believe Matt Hardy debuted in 92. Jeff Hardy in 93. Joey Mercury in 96. Nathan Jones in 97. Eric Young in 98. Brock Lesnar in 2000. And Ricochet debuted in 2003. And finally, notable deaths this week. Those who passed away this week in wrestling history. El Mongol and Bobby Ford died at 86. Pete Belcastro died at 85. Panchito Villalobos died at 77. Captain Lou Albano and Boris Volkov died at 76. Jack Sherry at age 74. Eddie King at 69. Cuchillo at 67. Albel Rodriguez at 59. Samson Kutsuwada died at 57. The Grand Wizard, Expectro, number one, and Billy Berger, died at 54. El Brazo at 52. Dr. Extreme at 41. Joey Maggs at 37. And Gerald McCraw Jr. died at 35. I believe he was murdered. Pretty sad story if you actually look it up. Anyway, follow me on Twitter, at DonTonyD. The website, DonTony.com. Email me, DonTony, at DonTony.com. Facebook.com slash DTKC show. And as always, if you like what we do, you want to help support these shows, help us keep the bills paid, the lights on, keep these free for everyone. Consider our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Don Tony. For five bucks, you get access to everything that we have available there. We have giveaways, pay-per-view predictions, contests. We have Patreon-exclusive podcasts there. Yours truly and Anthony Missionary Thomas, we do an episode every other week called Breakfast Soup. Kevin Castle does a solo show, Castle Chronicles. There's a lot of University of Maryland Global Campus was established to bring a respected state university education to working adults at home and abroad. 70 years ago, we sent professors overseas to educate service members and their families on military installations and on the front lines. Today, we're online because that's where working adults need us. That's where you need us. We'll support your commitment to being a successful student with services that fit your lifestyle. And we offer more than 90 programs and specializations for where you are and where you want to be. 
University of Maryland University College is now University of Maryland Global Campus. We go the distance because times have changed, but what we're made for hasn't. UMGC offers online support for veterans, including resources at the Veterans Resource Center, no-cost digital materials replacing most textbooks, virtual advising, transfer credits, and lifetime career services. Speak to our dedicated military and veterans advisors who can help you find the right degree for your career path. Visit umgc.edu. Certified to operate in Virginia by Chev. Hello, Discover here to explain our cash back match. Here's how it works. We give you cash back for using your Discover card on the things you were going to buy anyway. Then we match that cash back in your first year. And that's why we call it Cashback Match. Now to recap and say cash back one more time. We match all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year automatically. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply.